Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. We're halfway through the week. And the snow and ice, it's pretty much gone. I mean, there's still bits and pieces. My little boy yesterday was so upset that the snow was going. I don't want it to go, Daddy. I don't want it to go. Ah, that's, that's life, son. That's life. You've got to learn the hard way. Our snowman is almost melted, which means I can, I'm, I'm almost ready to go and reclaim my scarf and hat which are getting ruined out there, but uh, if I dare bring them in, I'd be in trouble. Lots coming up on the show this morning, including a 20-mile-an-hour speed limit is being introduced in some parts of St Albans. But, and here's the, uh, the twist, it'll be self-enforced. Is it pointless, or will it make the road safer? As you heard in the news there, it's feared that dog napping is on the rise in the three counties. We'll hear from a Buckinghamshire woman whose two black Labradors were stolen from outside her house. And David Cameron's promise to uh, and David Cameron's to promise a referendum on whether Britain should stay in the EU. We'll preview what he'll say in his speech. Facebook.com forward slash BBC Three CR or 08459 four double five five double five. BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, if you drive around St Albans, you'll find that parts of the city centre now have 20 mile an hour speed restrictions in place. But it's up to you. It's your discretion as to whether you drive at that limit. Residents have called for the speed limit to be lowered, especially in the conservation area. The success of the project will be monitored over the next 12 months, but there seems to be plenty of local backing. I think it's an excellent idea, anything that goes towards road safety. Good. Some streets are already like that in St Albans, but this will obviously increase the number significantly. I don't think that's a problem. Anything that helps road safety and promotes it and makes things safe for the pedestrian is a good thing. It doesn't stop the motor car going there. It just means they have to be driven carefully and perhaps properly. I think there's a place for 20 mile an hour, especially in residential areas, especially where there are schools, uh, especially where children congregate. I think that will probably be sufficient. The Green Party has probably got many wishes. To be honest, whenever I've driven through St Albans, you can't go more than 20 miles an hour anyway. But it, in principle, it's a good idea, yes. Where would you like to see it in the main? I think generally the whole area around here because uh, it might help with the traffic flow. If it was limited, maybe it might flow better. The Green Party would like to see the whole of St Albans covered by a 20 mile an hour area. Would you be in favour of that? Yes and no. I think if it's appropriate, right, school kicking out time, but then that's where being a a sensible driver comes in. You limit it to the conditions at the time. And when the weather's like this, obviously, if people are going to go at 40 miles an hour, it's too fast. What area does it cover? Well, there aren't too many signs. They're trying to keep them to a minimum, I think. Okay. If it's in the town centre, I don't think it's actually relevant. This particular area here, because the traffic is so slow, there's no advantage to having a 20-mile-an-hour area in this particular space. So, waste of money, really. You think it's a waste of time because people won't stick to the limit anyway? Probably not. If the traffic is flowing faster in this this short area here, then they will move with the traffic. But it's not very clear as to where the actual 20-mile-an-hour area or the zone is. The Green Party would like to extend it all over St Albans so that wouldn't be an issue then. Well that'll be fun <laughs> another nail I guess for uh, visiting St Albans Town Centre Well you, you, I've been to St Albans Town Centre you, if you're driving through the centre you can't get up to 20 miles an hour, it's always chock-a-block We can talk now to Brian Gregory who's a director of the Alliance of British Drivers Morning Brian. Good morning. Is this a good idea to introduce 20 mile an hour limits in town and city centres? Uh, no, not on a blanket basis why? All, all the evidence shows that it actually increases casualties rather than reduces them. Really? How's that? Well, there are several reasons, but the, the simplest one is that pedestrians perceive that they're safer, perceive or believe that they're safer, but they're actually not. And they tend to take less care. Um, and also drivers, 
anybody who's driven a modern car knows how difficult it is to, to maintain 20 miles an hour. Sorry? Spend, sorry? <laughs> it's not difficult to maintain 20 miles an hour. Oh, yes, it is. You try driving at a steady 20 miles an hour. What gear do you need to be in? Well, third or fourth. No. Uh, yes. Third, maybe. Third, yes. Third. Now, and, and how, what, <laughs> is, what is it like using the throttle response in third gear? It's, it's a lot more... Brian, um, Brian, it's a, come on now, listen, if anyone who's... Worth, we talked about driving tests and the examinations yesterday. Anyone who's worth their salt can drive at a steady 20 miles an hour. That's not difficult. Uh, you can't do it without watching your speedometer a lot more than you would normally. Uh, well, I, I dispute that. I, I, well, I, I can drive... It, but it's a fact. Well, it's not a fact, Brian, because I can drive... It's not a fact. I can drive... I can drive 20 miles an hour very safely without looking at my speedometer constantly. Uh, I don't think you can. I can. You may believe it, <laughs> I'll go and do it now. now I'll look, go and do it now. Look, Get Justin look, in here look, to present the show. Look, I'll drive look. around the block at 20. Yeah, great. Wonderful. The simple fact is that all the schemes that have used this have found that pedestrian right. casualties have gone up dramatically. And the one that's been trumpeted is Portsmouth. There was a 38% increase in pedestrian killed in serious injuries, an 11% increase in injured cyclists, even though there's a 12% average reduction in, in KSIs in killed and seriously injured nationally. And Portsmouth recorded a 6% increase in killed and seriously injured despite a 12% reduction in traffic volume. What would you like to see happen, Brian? Well, a lady mentioned schools. Yeah. Schools are only open 4% of the year. If you sit and work out what the school opening and closing times are, they're about 4% of the year. You only need uh, variable speed limits out schools, outside schools, which, which are during the times the school is being used. So that's the first thing. So, you don't do need blanket limits around schools. Okay. You don't need blanket, blanket limits in urban schools areas. Schools are only open less. 4% of the year? Yeah. What does that mean? The school opening times, the times oh. the school is actually open and people are coming uh, in and Brian, out. Brian, but people come in and out of schools at various times throughout well, the day, you know that. in the morning on a Sunday? No, but they come... Well, well, so, well, there you are then. But the they, schools, schools open... Out, it's a tiny proportion. Brian, I'm sorry, Ian. Brian, go calm down. Use, go and do the math. Brian, schools are, schools are open... Brian, are calm down. doing the math calm down. and approaching this thing. Calm down. Schools are open for more than 4% of the year. They're open five days a week. Yes, but the people are not coming in and out of them. Oh, you mean... Uh, the sorry, you, you, weren't, you weren't clear with what you said. What you mean is that the, um, the opening times and the closing times amount to 4% of the year. Yes. So that's, that's different from schools being open 4% of the year. No, it's not. Yes, it is. Because schools are open between uh, 8 o'clock in the morning and 3 o'clock in the afternoon. What you mean is sort of quarter to 8, quarter past 8, and quarter to 3, quarter past 3. You mean that little bit, don't you? Yes. So yes. that's different from schools being open 4% of the year. All right. There is, there is significant traffic for 4% of the Correct. Year. There we go. There we go. Right. We cleared that up. We've yeah, got to be careful. Right. When, we, when we're talking about statistics and lives and facts, we need to just be careful, I think. Yeah, absolutely. There's too much hyperbole around these yeah, kind of things. Absolutely. So you think that schools, what, what, anything goes? Any speed? No, I think if you have a, a 20 mile an hour speed limit, which is time um, uh, allocated, yes. then, then you can make schools safer than they already are. Okay. But you also need to educate pedestrians, Ian, because the simple problem is yeah. that Two-thirds of all pedestrian accidents are precipitated by errors on the part of the pedestrian. OK, Brian, I'm going to let you go now. That's Brian Gregory, uh, who's director of uh, the Alliance of British Drivers. Do you, do, do, sorry to dwell on this. I can quite comfortably drive at 20 miles... I've done it. 20 miles an hour without studying my speedometer and without crunching gears or... Am I, am I wrong? I'm, I'm going to go out after the show and do it. I'm going to record myself doing it. I won't record myself because then I wouldn't have both hands on the wheel. Am I being ridiculous there? If you can't drive 20 miles an hour, you shouldn't be driving a car. I don't want to have this argument again. But that seems quite obvious to me. 
Give us a call. 08459 455 555. Can you drive at 20 miles an hour safely without studying the speedometer? A little bit of the old Rod Stewart, who we discovered yesterday hasn't got a driving licence. He lied in the 60s and got someone else to take his driving test for him. Unbelievable behaviour. 08459 455 555. I'm getting confused in my head now. It is easy to drive at 20 miles an hour, isn't it, over a sustained period? When you slow down, you'd look at the speedometer, and you might check it occasionally, but you wouldn't be crunching gears or slipping gears, and you wouldn't be staring at the speedometer. I will do it after the show, and if I'm wrong, I will come on the air tomorrow and I will put my hands up, and we'll phone that gentleman up, and I'll apologise to him. I suspect I'm not, though. I, I, it, it is easy, isn't it? I saw Ray Davis at the weekend. He lives near me, and he quite, so I quite often walk past him. I'm a big fan of the Kinks, and it's really hard for me not to go... Oh, I see that's Ray Davis from the Kinks! I have to bite my tongue every single time. It's Ray Davis from the Kinks! Look, he's there! He was coming out of Snappy Slaps the other day. Yeah, yeah. I interviewed Ray Davis once, and he is famously miserable, grumpy, grumpy old rock star, as is his right, but famously grumpy, and he was talking about his new album that was a little bit of a stinker, and he didn't want to talk about anything else, just wanted to talk about his new album, and the interview was kind of plodding along quite awkwardly, uh, until I said, oh, I used to, um, I used to live about 15 years in Muswell Hill, which is where the kinks are famously from, he went, Oh, right, whereabouts did you live? And I told him some street names, and I mentioned a couple, a couple of Indian restaurants. As soon as we talked the Indian restaurants in Muswell Hill, he was totally on my side. He could, we, we talked about Muswell Hill, we talked about the kinks, we talked about anything we wanted to. I had opened the door. There's your key, uh, interviewers, potential interviewers of Ray Davis. Go and live in Muswell Hill for 15 years, and then you can talk to him about anything. Now, it's feared that dog napping is on the rise in beds, hearts and bucks. According to the charity Dog Lost, up to eight dogs go missing, presumed stolen, every day in the southeast. They say there's been a 17% increase since 2011, with 145 dogs stolen in 2012. Well, our reporter Sophie Soleri has been to meet Teresa Lamborn at the, her home in Cadmore End in Buckinghamshire. Her two black labs, that's Labradors, Pip and Maggie, were stolen from the kennels outside her house in July. <laughs> They've entered through the, the big metal gate that you have that's always closed, come in through past the back door, into the back garden, and obviously up to the locked kennels. I think this is why they didn't take the two dogs in the middle that, that are barking, because they're barking aggressively. Um, I'd come home for my lunch break, I'd gone back to work at about 1.30 and my husband came back an hour later and they'd been stolen in the middle of the day. And indeed, we're here at the third kennel at the yes. end and they're not there. No, this, this was um, uh, Maggie's kennel, which um, is horrible seeing it empty now because obviously, you know, she used to come bounding up and be there and now it's empty. And, and did Pip stay in there as well? No, Pip actually lived in the other end. So they actually broke into two separate kennels and took two separate dogs. It's yes, horrible, as you can see, empty. So it's an empty kennel, it does, it looks barren, and they've come directly through the front, it seems. Yes, they, but we're, they were all padlocked with these big padlocks here. They've come, obviously, prepared with a bar, a jimmy bar or something, and, and they've actually broken off all the padlocks. And when you came home to find Pip and Maggie gone, what happened? How did you feel? Well, my husband found that they were, were gone. He phoned me at work. And I have to admit that I broke down in tears. I had to come home, straight home from work, 
absolutely devastated. I don't have any children, and I'm not saying that dogs replace children, but to me, they were my family, and they've been taken away. Why do you think that these dogs particularly were taken? Round here, it seems rife that working dogs are being stolen. Not just round here, actually all over the country. So somebody somewhere must be buying or doing something with these working dogs. And I have no idea why, and that's where I think sometimes it'd be nice if there were some more investigations gone into it. I've even thought of hiring a private investigator once just to see if we can find out what is happening with these dogs. Oh, Theresa, fear not, because we are now joined by pet detective Colin Butcher. Morning, Colin. Good morning. Colin, your job is to find lost animals. Have you noticed a rise in the number of stolen dogs? Uh, Yes. In the last, say, 12 months, there's a significant increase. How do we know they're stolen and, and not just gone missing? Well, to a large extent, the owners don't know they're stolen unless Uh it's an incident where the kennels are broken into. Uh, People assume when a dog's missing that it's run off or escaped from a garden. So they don't report it as a stolen dog. They report it as a missing dog. Consequently, an investigation is not initiated by the police if it's just a missing dog. If the the police are told a dog has has been uh, dognapped, are they particularly helpful? Depends very much on the force and what they have in place. If the force has got uh, wildlife or countryside officers, yes, they can be very helpful. Other forces that don't tend to experience a great amount of dog theft, well, they tend not to be that enthusiastic. Can you understand their reluctance? There there are some people who might suggest that there are, you know, slightly more important things than missing dogs for the police to get involved with. Oh, absolutely. I'm an ex-police officer myself, so... Uh, you, you were juggling all sorts of demands that were coming in each day, and a stolen dog may not sit at the, the top of the list. At the moment, the bad weather conditions are causing a lot of accidents, so resources are stretched even further. Why are these people stealing dogs, Colin? It's always a combination of factors, and uh, at the moment, there's a massive demand for working dog puppies. Uh, in addition, cost of them through the legitimate sources is high five six hundred pounds a puppy so there's a a whole market that's sprung up for supplying uh dogs and puppies on the internet how do you go colin from being a copper to being a pet detective how did that journey happen well i've always been interested in animals and i recovered my first stolen uh puppies back in 1994 so it's a it's a thread that stayed common in my life but Uh, When I left the police service, I set up my own private detective agency. And it was only through the demand for that service in the last few years that we set up the Pet Detectives Limited. And and busy? Is busy with with, with you hunting pets? Very busy. December, January, we've uh, been busier than ever before. And it's the bulk of our work is now on the investigation of stolen uh, working breeds. And how on earth do you go about finding them? I'm assuming you're doing more than just putting up signs on trees. That's not really what we do. Right. We, we investigate. So we, we um, seek out witnesses that the police may have missed. We, we tend to sort of know which areas dogs have been stolen from and where they end up. So mm. we, we, we have a network of contacts with uh, gypsy liaison officers, with dog wardens. We work quite closely with Dog Lost. And that enables us to um, follow lines of inquiry that if, if we get onto an investigation quick enough, we are often very successful. And any tips for, for people listening to this who've got love dogs and uh, are, are worried that something might happen to them, what would you say to keep their dogs safe? 
the, the biggest tip I'll give all the people that have their dogs kenneled outside, which is the majority of working breeds, is police forces throughout the UK are either selling cheaply or massively reduced alarmed padlocks. Oh. Buy them and get them on the kennels because they scream uh, if anyone goes near them. And get it's the dogs chipped pe- as well, I would suggest. I think the, the compulsory chipping of all dogs is, is something that must happen. D- doesn't cost very much, doesn't hurt, and it's, it's a great way of, of making sure, you know, you can, you can track your dog a bit. You can find out if they found the right dog. To a large extent, it's free if you, if you really? look around, yes. Brilliant. Listen, Colin, thank you very much. Keep up the good work. Colin Butcher there, who's a pet detective, uh, started off as a, a policeman, became a, a PI, Magnum Styley, and then concentrates most of his work finding lost dogs. Incredible. Thank you for that, Colin. Now to make her feel at home and welcome, Eo, it's t- news with Captain Boyle. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. One more for the tribunal. It's half past six, and that's your latest news and sport. More from me at seven o'clock. Your pocket that were eat proper news that were last. Think on, kid. On FM, AM, and online, BBC Three Counties Radio. Just, um, just trying to make her feel welcome. That's I don't know why she took offence at uh, at that. Coming up in the next half an hour, find out what's being done to address problems with a legal drug called cat popular with the Somali community in Milton Keynes. And in a few hours' time, David Cameron will set out his vision for Britain's role in Europe. I'll give you a heads-up on what he's going to say. How, how slow do you want that hand? I w- it could be irritating, couldn't it? You, you, come on, speed up a little bit. We're getting nowhere here, for goodness sakes. I've got, I've got, uh, got things to do, got to tidy up. Uh, morning, Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio, and uh, a recommendation will be made this afternoon by a government advisory panel on the classification of a drug which is legal in this country called CAT. The leaves are chewed to achieve a, in inverted commas, high, and can be bought here for as little as £3 a bunch. It's popular with Somalis and those from other nations in East Africa. Well, Terry Baines is the chair of the Fishermead Residents Association in Milton Keynes, where the Somali community used the drug. Morning, Terry. Good morning. Well, what's your experience of this drug on the estate? Um, it, it's, it's very widely used on the estate. Um, uh, very close to where I live, we've got one of the, the flats where I live is, is used as a what they call a cat house where they congregate. Um, I would call it. A ca- I would call it a cattery. Yeah, cattery. Yeah, yeah. sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. no, no. It's it, it's it, you get an awful lot of Somalian men turn up here every day, some t- two or three times a day. Um, they're in the flat. They're chewing the leaf. Coming out, they're very, very uh, euphoric, and they're they're um, very high, uh, very loud. Um, uh, antisocial behaviour on the way out is 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 rife um, with the noise and, uh, and this sort of thing. Uh, and it's it's not not very good for the people that live on the estate mm. to have to to live around it. Apart from the noise, what, what what's the other antisocial behaviour? What, what what's your real problem with it? Our real problem with it is the fact that it's the Somalian families that, that have the problems. Uh, it, it, it causes family breakdown within the Somalian community. Um, it also, um, it's health problems it causes is, is rife. Um, for, for long-term users and this sort of thing, it causes mental health problems mm. as well. Uh, it's been proven. Um, the Drug Enforcement Agency in the States proved 
that it was uh, causing many, many problems. To what it was banned over there. I mean, if you think about it, Holland is probably one of the lay- most laid-back countries in Europe. It banned it on the 5th of January this year mm. it, because of the way it is. It's, it is exactly the same as, as the class... The class A, class B drugs that we have in this country that are banned. So, what would you like to see happen to, in regards to the classification of this drug? Do you want it banned outright? Oh yes, oh yes. I want it. I want it. I want its use, its import from from Africa and, and um, out of the Arab areas to be banned immediately. That's, that's what we want. If uh, we it, ban it, though, openly on sale, Terry. If we ban it, though. People are still going to take it, aren't they? Isn't this just going to drive it underground and, and, and criminalise a, a, a large portion of the community? But it would also help those... It would help the Somalian communities and the other African communities um, because there are those that will stop. It, 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 will, it will cause it to, to unfortunately shut down as, as best we can. Yes, it, it's like everything else, it will go underground. Yeah. But, but it will stop it from from really uh, raising its head and being widely used as it is now. Is it... Well, will it, though? Because, obviously, uh, dope is illegal and heroin is is illegal to, to, to some extent, and yet th- th- there are still huge problems with that. Yes, I totally agree with you. Mm. Um, uh, but there again, when you, when you actually see the way that it's policed as well, it's it, that's probably one of the uh, one of the issues with that. There's, it, they're too soft with the, with the users and, and the suppliers. But there'll be, the, 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 surely there'll be two, if, if cat becomes, uh, and I'm just putting, putting the contrary point of view, this is not necessarily what I think, but if, if cat becomes illegal, then the, the, the police will treat it softly as well, if they're treating other drugs softly. It's not, it's not well, really going to solve mate, the problem, is it? It's, it will help towards solving the problem. Uh, then there are, yes, there are other issues that then they've got, then they've got to be tackled. Um, uh, these are issues that have been going on for a long time. Mm. Uh, the, the one thing about this one is it's, it's a large leaf, it's a, it's, and it's openly imported at the moment. They right. can see where it's coming from. Okay. There are ways of controlling it. OK, Terry, listen, thank you very much. Terry Baines, Chair of the Fishermead Residents Association in Milton Keynes. Uh, and later on we'll be speaking to MP Mark Lancaster, who uh, also uh, wants to see the drug banned. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, if you drive around St Albans, um, as I do frequently, uh, you'll find that parts of the city centre now have 20-mile-an-hour restrictions in place. But it's up to you. It's your discretion as to whether you drive at that limit. Earlier on, I spoke to Brian Gregory, who's a director of the Alliance of British Drivers, and he said introducing a 20-mile-an-hour limit can actually be more dangerous because drivers struggle to maintain that speed and constantly look at their speedometer. Now... I don't know whether it does make roads more dangerous or not. I dispute that fact. I can, and I'm going to do this after the show today. And if I'm wrong, I will come on the air and we'll get um, Brian Gregory on tomorrow and I'll apologise to him. But I think I can drive 20 miles an hour quite safely without constantly looking at my speedometer. Well, we've sent our slow hand lover, Justin Dealey, out and about to report this story this morning. Justin, whereabouts are you and what's happening? Yes, hello, Ian. I'm live in St Albans. I'm on St Peter's Street. And I found this conversation earlier on with your guest absolutely fascinating because yeah. I would have thought anybody who has passed their driving test could quite comfortably drive at 20 miles per hour. But according to him, no. Um, I've seen a few of the signs up already in the city centre. So I've been driving at 20 miles an hour this morning, yeah. j- just testing my own ability. Can you do it? it? Yes, I can. As you know, my are driving are pretty good to be fair um, so what we're we now going to do we're now going to take off 
and we're doing this live on air. Okay. And we're going to drive through St Albans. So I'm on St Peter's Street at this moment in time. Yeah. I am doing precisely 20 miles per hour. Yeah. Look at that. Bang on. Okay. Well, don't, well are, are you constantly uh, scrutinising your speedometer? Uh, no. I, I'm looking every now and again, but I can tell you, I know that feeling of being 20 miles yeah. an hour. I know that feeling as well. What gear are you in? I, I am currently in second gear. Okay. Coming up into third gear. Uh, you mentioned third gear earlier yep, on. Yep. So still on St Peter's Street, still going at now, what, 19 miles per okay. hour. And we just have to say, for legal reasons, Justin Dealey is quite... You're holding the steering wheel with your knees, <laughs> and the microphone <laughs> is in your, your hands. Is that correct? Everything is perfectly safe. He's got, he's got someone with him holding... Someone's with him holding the microphone. So, I'm now moving across the, the, the roundabout here. I'm now going to go through do you feel, high street. Do you feel frustrated driving at, at 19, 20 miles an no, hour, Justin? I don't. I don't no. at all. I'll tell you why, Ian. Mm. I don't at all. Still going 20 miles an hour, going right through the high street here. It's market day. Might speak to a few of the market traders a bit later on. And the reason I don't, and I'll tell you why, it's early in the morning, yep. but it's a city centre, like, yep. like any city centre slash town centre, there's going to be lots of traffic. I've now slowed down to 10 miles an hour, because even at this time of the morning, yeah. traffic is starting to build up. I'm just going to pull in here to my right-hand side. So, we've got a good minute or so there, yeah. going at 20 miles an hour, and I wasn't thinking to myself, I can't do this. Yeah. This is absolutely impossible. I if anything, in, it's going to pull in right now, so I can come to a standstill. Thank you. If anything, that was easy you see, I, I, I think Brian Gregory's argument, the Alliance of British Drivers, that, that, that people can't drive at 20 miles an hour, I do think that's a nonsense. Mm. But then he was the man that said that schools are only open for 4% of the year. <laughs> well, come on, don't bend those statistics. So you, you've pulled off on the hard shoulder now. That, yep. that was a good drive. You felt safe and secure, and uh, yep. you, you wouldn't have a problem with that in a city centre. As I say, if you're driving through any town centre, any city centre, you're probably not going to get above 20 miles an hour anyway. But certainly, in my experience of testing that before we went live, and when we did go live on air... 20 miles an hour for me is absolutely no problem whatsoever. Justin, whereabouts are you going to be? Can people come and, and find you and, and have their say? Yep, they can. You're going to be around the, the taxi rank this morning. We're going to be talking to some of the taxi drivers about these 20 mile an hour zones, also the Green Party. So come and look out for us live in St Albans this morning around the taxi rank. Excellent stuff, JD. Thank you very much indeed. If you, if you see him, go and say hello and let him have your say. Do you think 20 miles an hour in the uh, centre of uh, St Albans? Is that reasonable, or is it, is it just political madness gone wrong, I think the saying is. It's easy to drive at 20 miles an hour. The more I think about it, the more I know I've done it loads and loads of times. If Dealey can do it, I'm not, I don't want to be rude about Justin Dealey, because he is such a warm, loving, uh, caring human being. But if Dealey can drive at 20 miles an hour whilst providing Sony award-winning material for this radio show, then I'll be honest, anyone can. Oh wait, four five nine four double five five double five. Or do you struggle at twenty miles an hour? Now apparently you will get an in-out vote on staying in Europe if the Conservatives win the next election. Oh, I see what they're doing there. Clever. David Cameron is expected to promise a referendum on our membership of the European Union by the end of 2017. It's part of a big speech the Prime Minister is about to make in the next hour or two, probably around 8 o'clock. It makes the front of many of your morning papers, and many of the Prime Minister's supporters are pleased the British people will be getting a choice. Here's the Conservative MP, George Eustace. There will be a new treaty, I think, towards the end of 2014, 2015, when every country in Europe will be talking about how we sort this mess out. Those that are trapped in the Euro, it may involve deeper integration, deeper coordination of tax policies. For those like us outside, we may take powers back and we just need to have a grown-up debate about that. 
The PM will say he wants Britain to play an active role in the European Union, but he believes people here are fed up of unnecessary interference from Brussels. The Conservative leader wants to renegotiate the UK's relationship with the EU before asking people to vote. But many on the continent say Britain can't cherry-pick the parts of the EU it wants to be part of. The former Belgian Prime Minister, Guy Verhofstadt, says it's a risky strategy. Renegotiation is, is, is not possible. Everybody knows that because otherwise you have uh, uh, 27 uh, member states who are asking uh, for that. Uh, what we can see is that uh, he is leapwalking through the door of a, a real exit. Uh, of uh, Great Britain. He is sleepwalking to the door of a real exit. Well, critics say David Cameron is just trying to appeal to Eurosceptic voters who've switched from the Conservatives to the UK Independence Party. Labour has accused the Prime Minister of putting party interest above the national interest. It's claimed years of uncertainty over our place in Europe could be bad for Britain. Charles Grant is from the Pro-Europe Centre for European Reform. He says it's time for supporters of the EU to speak up about the benefits our membership brings. A lot of politicians I know are pro-European but they've said nothing because they think it could make them unpopular. Big business has kept quiet because it doesn't see it has much interest in this. The trade unions have said nothing about the benefits of EU membership. I think they're all going to wake up now that there's a serious risk of Britain leaving. Well, the Prime Minister's speech was originally scheduled to take place in Amsterdam last Friday. It was postponed because of the Algerian hostage crisis. It will now happen around 8 o'clock this morning. Call 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. We're talking about driving at 20 miles per hour after we had a gentleman on uh, from the Association of Motor Drivers or something like that. Let's, uh, I'm not quite sure who he was. Um, where was he from? Let's find out. He's from the Alliance of British Drivers. That was it. Brian Gregory said reducing the speed limits... So 20 miles an hour will be dangerous because drivers find it very, very hard to drive at 20 miles an hour. They can't do it. Bob's in High Wycombe. Morning, Bob. Good morning. Would you struggle to drive at 20 miles an hour? Uh, no. Not a problem, not, not problem at all. It's, it, there's, there's no problem with it, is there? No, no. It, it, once you've got the engine, no, you're fine. But, uh, the thing I do is I put cruise control on. Oh, you've got a fancy car with cruise control, have yeah. you? Yeah. Yeah. I've never tried cruise control. What does it do? You drive at a speed and then you click a button or something? That's right, yeah, you set it to the speed you want, or get up to the speed you want, and then just activate it, and it maintains you at that speed. And that's it? Yeah, that's it. Mm. And then you can, you can look out, and you can watch out for those silly pedestrians who are going to walk in front of you. You don't have to keep your eye on the speed off, and you know you're not going to get a speed camera. You are a lazy, lazy driver. You, la- yeah. you lazy driver, safe, you. Safe, though. Safe, though. Safe, exactly. Now, I was surprised that his argument was that, that, that driving at 20 miles per hour was, was a bit tricky, because it, I'm sure people can do that quite sensibly without constantly staring at the speedometer. Well, you can do it at 30, so why can't you do it at 20? Bob, would you, would you like to see kind of city centres that have the speed lowered to 20? Do you think that would help? I think it would, yeah. I mean, that, something that, your, that caller said was about the... Uh, so many percent of accidents are caused by pedestrians, by silly pedestrians. Yeah. Well, surely it's, it's incumbent on us drivers then to make sure that when we do hit them, that we hit them at a much lower speed. Yeah, yeah. And if, you can't, if, if you can't stop, um, if you can't stop in an emergency, you're going too fast. Yes. Bob, listen, thank you very much indeed. 08459 455 555. That's the latest. I'm Sophie Tyler. Thank you, Sophie. Oh, so, sorry, Sophie. I can't, <laughs> do, do, it, do it again. Go on, do your closing again. Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Sophie. There we go. I die interrupted. How rude of me. How I'm bullish and boorish this morning. Here's the news, Catherine Boyle. 
I just get the feeling that Catherine Boyle always breathes a sigh of relief when I hit that music and don't go straight to her to have a chitty chat. I just get the feeling... She's like, ah, I got away with that one. Morning, Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio, three minutes past seven. Lots coming up. Including... A 20-mile-an-hour speed limit is being introduced in parts of St Albans, but it'll be self-enforced. Do you think it'll help to make the roads safer, or will motorists struggle to maintain that speed, as one of my guests claimed earlier on? Dog napping has become a bigger problem in the three counties. We'll hear from the charity, which says they've seen an increase in the number of dogs being stolen. And it's the story on the front page of most of your newspapers this morning. David Cameron is offering an in-out, shake-it-all-about vote on Europe if he wins the next election. We'll find out what he's going to say ahead of his speech later on today. BBC Three Counties Radio. I told my son a lie yesterday, my eldest son. We had to take um, my, my baby to the hospital, Great Ormond Street, for bits and pieces. And it's fantastic. It's great there for kids. I thoroughly recommend, right, if you've got a day off and you're kind of near, <laughs> you're kind of near Russell Square, just pop into Great Ormond Street. Go to the x-ray department. They won't ask. And they've got some amazing toys. They've got a space shuttle for the kids to play in. And then we're there playing with the eldest. And then this lad turns up, says, I've got uh, some glitter and some glue. Does anyone want to make some pictures? Yeah, totally. It was wonderful. But we took, well, it was the baby that was being checked out. My little boy was very upset. He's three. And he's like, Daddy, I want to see a doctor. I want, it's not fair, I want to see a doctor. And we're like, well, when we're in with the doctor, we'll get him to have a look at you. And w- we didn't have time, it was all very rushed. And as we were leaving, the, the eldest was crying. But I didn't get to see a doctor. I didn't get to see a doctor. I said, well, you know the desks when you walk in and there's a lady, she's a doctor. She's a doctor. And she will check, she will check, I'll go and have a word with her, and I'm sure she'll check you out. Okay. So we went up to this receptionist and went, no, this is the doctor. And she looked at me and said, so, what? And I was like, just go along with this. Now, doctor, my little boy doesn't feel very well. Could you check him out, please? And she was like, oh, oh, okay. What's wrong? And she got straight into it. She totally understood the situation, got straight into it. What's wrong? My throat hurts. Let me have a little look. Right, what you need to do is you need to go home, you need to drink lots of water, and you need to go to bed when your daddy says, perfect. And he fell for it, hook, line, and sinker. Of course he would, he's three. And we said, thank you, doctor. So I was just wondering, little lies that you've told your kids, just to kind of keep them on side. Little lies that you've told them, or you were told by your parents. A classic one is uh, the ice cream van, when the music's played, oh, it means they've sold out of ice cream. 08459 455 555. We've got some quite serious stuff on the show today, so let's lighten up a little bit. Little lies you've told your kids just to make your life a bit more bearable. Me telling him that the, the lady on the reception was really a doctor. Wah. You know, she wasn't dispensed. She didn't offer any medicine or anything. She told him to drink lots of water and go to bed early. Fantastic. Little lies you've told your children, please. 08459 455 555. Or you can text them in 81333. Start your text 3CR. Now, if you drive around St Albans, you'll find that parts of the city centre now have 20 miles an hour uh, speed restrictions in place. But it'll be up to your discretion as to whether you drive at that limit. Residents have called for the speed limit to be lowered, especially in the conservation area. The success of the project will be monitored over the next 12 months. The Green Party wants to see the scheme extended to residential areas all over the city. Reporter Ewan Duncan spoke to one local employee. Sue Snow from the lower red line in Fishpool Street. I don't think it'll have much impact on the street when mainly residential down here. Don't get many children running around that it would affect. Don't get many people crossing the roads because the pavements are so high. We'd like to see less lorries and coaches in Fishpool Street mainly, rather than the uh, speed limit, because I don't think the speed limit will have any effect on us at all. 
There aren't many signs indicating that it is 20 mile an hour. I don't think there are any signs whatsoever. The only reason we know is because we've read it in the local paper. I think last week it, it was uh, in the local paper that Fishpool Street would be one of the 20 mile. The Green Party is talking about extending it over the whole of St Albans so that people know what the situation is. Would you be in favour of that? No, not really. I don't see the point in that at all. I don't think anybody speeds terribly much in St Albans itself. You know, 30 miles an hour seems to be reasonable and people stick to that, I think. How do you think it will affect businesses in the town? Will they be bothered? I can't see any. I can't see any being bothered at all. No, none. It's a safety issue. It probably makes sense to have a 20 mile an hour limit near schools. Definitely near schools. Where, where children are concerned, that they don't think they just run out into the streets. Adults don't necessarily do that. So I think where children are concerned, it should be a speed limit of 20, definitely. Well, we've sent our uh, driving safety correspondent, Justin Dealey, to the centre of St Albans. Uh, Justin, is it yep. gridlock there? I've driven through St Albans recently, and on a Saturday, you're not going to get close to 20 miles an hour. What's the traffic like there now? You know what it can be like. I mean, even now, looking down St Peter's Street, traffic is building already. It's market day here. Uh, traffic through the city centre is always pretty busy. I think you'd struggle to do 20 miles an hour plus, um, certainly from 7am this morning. So traffic building up, but, but people have got issues about this some people have said to me already this morning there's more important things to worry about than 20 mile an hour speed zones we'll come to some of those points in a moment but um joining me live here in st albans in our radio car is jack easton jack is the green party candidate for the central st albans district on hertfordshire county council jack welcome to the program first of all uh, lots of roads with these new restrictions uh, where are these roads exactly here uh, morning the um district we call the Cathedral Quarter from Fishpool Street to Catherine Street, mostly residential roads. Some people might think of it as behind the market, so to speak. Yeah. Okay, so £50,000 of council money here. This is not going to be enforced. Surely it's a waste of money, isn't it? Well, it's, uh, it's one of those questions that gets a long-winded answer i'm afraid because you know the hard cash goes on signs but the benefits are are much more intangible in terms of encouraging people to walk more and uh, leave their cars behind but what is the point though if you've got a sign that says 20 miles an hour but it's not going to be enforced is there any point to that whatsoever well, I think you're you're being a little bit harsh on... on you the, know where I'm coming from, though, don't I, you? I do, I do. But if it is the limit, and you do have a majority of law-abiding citizens and the people who understand and support the idea are in the majority now, it seems, then a number of vehicles, an increasing number of vehicles, will accept it, and those that are in a hurry will just have to follow. And, and you only need one or two accidents for public uh, disapproval of those in a hurry to grow. You want this rolled out across the whole of St Albans. Uh, For anybody who says, this is ridiculous, what would you say to those people? (laughs) Well, it's obviously going to be cheaper in signage terms if when you just arrive at the entrance to the town, it says, this whole town is 20 miles an hour. So that saves the money and deals with that point. And I think that uh, it it really is all about those intangible benefits, encouraging more people feeling safer on the streets. Perhaps you'll see an end to the school run even, where... Really? (laughs) Parents are happy to let their children walk or cycle, or at least walk or cycle with them, because the the whole um, balance of road use has changed in favour of a gentle, slower use. You want, uh, ideally, people to get on their bikes and go to work and to go to school. Uh, Sell it to people. Why should they do that? (laughs) 
Well, again, we can't uh, force, but uh, and if you're actually trying to go 10 miles and it happens to go through St Albans, then you perhaps won't be walking. But it's, it's generally about reducing pollution and noise, giving people a greater sense of community. And I'll give you an example. Actually, in Liverpool, the Primary Care Trust has funded 20-mile-an-hour zones because they see a saving and cost to them in general improvements in health. And, although they're frequently rare... Uh, sorry thankfully rare in St Albans the actual impact of an accident at a lower speed mm. is, is less damaging Okay, a couple of final points for you so just quite briefly on these you're saying to us right now these 20 miles per hour zones have gone in uh, here in St Albans they are new you firmly think that people will look at them and they'll take notice of them and they won't break that speed limit I think in the area we've chosen so far for our experiment, the roads are quite narrow and it's actually very difficult to do 20 miles an hour. And that's the real point. You need to get out onto the roads that people... But if it's difficult to to do 20 miles an hour, why have you put those signs in in the first place? Well, it wouldn't have been our first choice, but I don't want to be political. It's an experiment and we need to build on this. But the the place where you're going to really make a difference are the key thoroughfares Mm. rather than the narrow and the specifically residential streets. Okay, and just lastly, we had a guest on earlier on who said it's impossible to do 20 miles an hour. In actual fact, it's quite dangerous. Do you think it's impossible to do 20 miles per hour? No, I think it's a case of just getting used to a newer, slower approach. Okay, appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thank you. There you go. That was uh, Jackie. Easton joining us live on Three Counties. He's the Green Party candidate for the Central St Albans District on Hertfordshire County Council. I've seen a few of these roads already this morning, In uh, The signs are up, but of course, they won't be enforced. So it's up to the motorists, it's up to us to look at those signs and take notice of them. In my experience of driving day in, day out, people don't take notice of 30 mile an hour signs, 40 mile an hour signs, no. 50 miles an hour signs. So why would they take notice of a 20 mile an hour sign without enforcement? I think that gentleman is very, very naive. Listen, I, I'm all for... Slower speeds in, in cities. I think it's a cracking idea, but I think he's very naive. If people are going to uh, uh, adhere to that, mm. well, it was chucking it down with snow at the weekend. I was on the motorway driving to Gloucester, doing sixty miles an hour. There were people doing a hundred miles yeah. an hour. Justin, you know, I, I totally agree with you. I think that I think you make a, an interesting point there. It doesn't matter what conditions we have. People do drive like lunatics. If they see a sign that says twenty miles an hour, if they ignore all of the other signs, I think, and it's just my personal view, uh, they would do exactly the same with a 20-mile-an-hour zone sign. It's, it's nice in principle. It's nice in principle. Educated idiot on, on Twitter says, what's the point? Self-enforced won't happen. 30 miles per hour legally enforced is ignored. Spend the money on potholes. That's hmm, £50,000 we're talking about here as well, Ian. £50,000. Just just think of all the clothes you could and snoods <laughs> you could buy with that, Justin. Oh, it would be fantastic. Wonderful. Justin Daly, excellent stuff as always. A couple of comments on Twitter at BBC uh, 3CR on this driving at 20 miles an hour. The gentleman shouldn't be driving, says Anthony Braithwaite. I've, I've, I'm cleaning some of these up. Some of you are quite furious that this fella suggested that driving at 20 miles an hour is tricky. Um, Mark Callum says, I've just put the 20 miles per hour limit to the test. A doddle, no problems there. Then he goes on to be rude about our guest, Sean Davis. It's not hard, but 20 miles per hour is a little too slow for third gear, a little too th- fast for second. Can make emergency manoeuvres problematic. Sandra, driving through St Albans at 20 is impossible. That's speeding there. Um, what else have we got? Stay in third, says Greg Carter, and listen to the sound of engine for over-revving. Stephen says, I learned the very basics of driving while I was driving at 20 miles per hour. The guy doesn't deserve a licence if he can't drive at 20. I'm a learner driver and I mastered that. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if you want to give us a call. And also, if there's 20 miles per hour, it's recommended, Okay, It's not going to be enforced. 
Would you stick to that 20 if it's not enforced, or would you drive faster? Ah, uh, he's still not very well, Jonathan. I'm worried about him. Not worried enough to go around there, because I don't want to catch it. But um, sending him our best, even though, let's be honest, he won't be listening to this rubbish. Now, dog napping uh, is... Uh, oh, no, hang on a second. We've got a, a, a caller. Linda, I do apologise. Linda, I didn't see <laughs> you there, and I was going to avoid you. Linda in Letchworth, have you told cheeky little lies to your children? I did, yes. What ones have you told? Um, well, when my two girls were really naughty, um, I used to tell them I would take them to naughty girls' school, and there used to be a, a hall down the road from where we lived. Yes. And every time we drove past it, I'd say, oh, look, there's naughty girls' school. It's a boarding school for really naughty children. And uh, oh, so... Oh, hang on a minute. So you, you were actually threatening to send your... <laughs> if, if, I'd been, if I'd been a young lad, naughty girls' school would have sounded great. But you were threatening to send your children to a boarding school for really yeah. badly behaved children? Yeah. That's terrible! <laughs> oh, that's terrible! Well, and they used to go, um, we used to go, right, come on, we're in the car now. If they started playing, I'd go right in the car. So they'd get in the car, and by the time we got there, they'd either be, be tending to be asleep in the car or, <laughs> or absolute angels. Wow. Yeah, so the, the, the old, the old um, fear stick was waved in their face, and they yes. were... At what age was this when you were telling them this? Uh, they were probably about between the age of five and nine, <laughs> something <laughs> like that. <laughs> was there a point, Linda, where they, they kind of cottoned on that actually they weren't going to go to naughty girls' school? Um, probably as they got a little bit older, but they never really asked. They always used to... When we used to drive past it, they used to look and go, hmm, sort of thing. And then about a couple of years ago, they used to yeah. say, Mum, we never really see any go in that school? <laughs> I was like, well, no, because it's actually just an empty hall. It wasn't a boarding school at all. And they were like, oh, Mum, I can't believe you used to make us do oh, that. fantastic. I, suddenly I don't feel so bad about telling my son he was talking to a doctor when it was just a confused woman on reception. Well, there Lin- you go, you see. <laughs> exactly. Linda, thank you for that. Marilyn and Milton Keynes, did you used to lie to your children, or do you, do you still do it? Well, no, they're a bit older now. <laughs> how, how old are they now? Oh, uh, one's 35, one's 32. Still, still a good age to lie to them, Marilyn, for goodness sakes. <laughs> yeah, well, well, when they were little, yeah. um, you know, like orchids wouldn't eat Brussels sprouts. Yeah. So I used to mash it with a bit of cabbage, yeah. um, a bit, bit, bit of butter, and I uh, told them it was cabbage, and they used to woof it down. Oh, because they, they liked a bit of cabbage, so you, once they thought it was cabbage, they'd, they'd, they'd have it. Yeah, but um, they soon twist when they caught me doing it one day, smashing them. <laughs> were they were they devastated when they found out that their mother was a dirty liar? Yeah. yeah. Oh, you cheat! You cheat! <laughs> it's bad, isn't it? But we we've all got these little uh, these little tricks that, um, that that we. Catherine Boyle, do you know Catherine Boyle, Marilyn? I've heard of her. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you know what she does? What? She's the newsreader on this radio show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She she is a dirty liar. She's got kids, and her, she just sent me a message saying her big fib was saying there are no monsters or witches or bad fairies in your bedroom because I kicked them all out while you were at school. Oh. That's terrible, isn't it? Oh, that's awful. So she's wicked. Oh, never mind. Ha- have, you got, have you got a message for the wicked Catherine Boyle? Um... It's a wicked. <laughs> yeah, it's a wicked, isn't it? Thank you very much indeed, Marilyn. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Yeah, well, well, my little boy's scared about monsters. He was scared about a skeleton yesterday. He thought we were being chased down the street by a skeleton. Now you can say, well, there's no such thing as monsters. Okay, you can say that. I don't believe it, but you can say it. You can't say there's no such thing as skeletons because there are. <laughs> I was going, but there's no skeleton chasing. There is, Daddy. There's a skeleton chasing us. I turned out there was. <laughs> 
Uh, there wasn't. Dog napping. It's a growing problem in beds, hearts and bucks. Figures obtained by Three Counties Radio have found that up to eight dogs go missing every day in the southeast. Our reporter, Sophie Solaria, has been to meet Teresa Lamborn at her home in Cadmore End in Buckinghamshire. Her two black Labradors, Pip and Maggie, were stolen from the kennels outside her house in July. <laughs> They've entered through the, the big metal gate that you have that's always closed, come in through past the back door, into the back garden, and obviously up to the locked kennels. I think this is why they didn't take the two dogs in the middle that, that are barking, because they're barking aggressively. Um, I'd come home for my lunch break, I'd gone back to work at about 1.30 and my husband came back an hour later and they'd been stolen in the middle of the day. And indeed, we're here at the third kennel at the yeah. end and they're not there. No, this, this was um, uh, Maggie's kennel, which um, is horrible seeing it empty now because obviously, you know, she used to come bounding up and be there and now it's empty. And, and did Pip stay in there as well? No, Pip actually lived in the other end. So they actually broke into two separate kennels and took two separate dogs. It's yes, horrible, as you can see, empty. So it's an empty kennel, it does, it looks barren, and they've come directly through the front, it seems. Yes, they, but we're, they were all padlocked with these big padlocks here. They've come, obviously, prepared with a bar, a jimmy bar or something, and, and they've actually broken off all the padlocks. And when you came home to find Pip and Maggie gone, what happened? How did you feel? Well, my husband found that they were, were gone. He phoned me at work. And I have to admit that I broke down in tears. I had to come home, straight home from work. Absolutely devastated. I don't have any children. And I'm not saying that dogs replace children, but to me, they were my family. And they've been taken away. Why do you think that these dogs particularly were taken? Round here it seems rife that working dogs are being stolen. Not just round here, actually all over the country. So somebody somewhere must be buying or doing something with these working dogs. And I have no idea why. And that's where I think sometimes it'd be nice if there were some more investigations gone into it. I've even thought of hiring a private investigator once just to see if we can find out what is happening with these dogs. Well, with us now is Nick Oakley from the charity Dog Lost. Morning, Nick. Morning, Ian. Nick, how does Dog Lost work? Uh, well, basically, we're formed around uh, a website, www.doglost.co.uk, and owners whose dogs are missing um, can register their dogs, um, and then we have a number of automated systems and lots of helpers. We send it automatically sends out uh, lost dog posters in the surrounding areas, um, we notify the authorities um, and we can provide advice online and help on the ground through our volunteer system. What, is, what can people do, apart from putting those posters up and, and you know, maybe some flyers through doors and things, what else can people do? What, to get their dogs back yeah. to keep their dogs safe? Well, to, keep, to get their dogs back, first of all. Well, to get their dogs back, um, it's, it's all about raising the profile of the missing dog. Um, we've had plenty of instances where um, there have been really good um, PR campaigns with the help of people um, like yourselves, and dogs have actually been dumped because, in fact, um, so many people are aware of the fact that the dog is missing that they simply can't sell it on. How do we know that the dogs are being stolen and they've not just wandered off? Well, it, sometimes it's difficult. Mm. Um, some dogs do wander off, um, but they are subsequently stolen. It's something called theft by finding. Um, either people see um, a cute little dog walking down the road and think, 
uh, he or she's lovely, um, I'll, I'll take him home. Um, or sometimes people may find a dog, particularly um, in the, the sort of working dogs that we've just heard about, uh, and they'll think, oh, there'll be a reward. I'll hang on to the dog and I'll see if the reward um, comes up. Um, but I would say that of the dogs that uh, Dog Loss reunite every year, and we reunited just over 5,000 last year, more than a third of them were reunited in suspicious circumstances. They'd either been stolen or um, a reward had been demanded um, or people had kind of kept them and then let them go later. All the police forces in this area, and we've spoken to them all, said it, it, it's not that big a problem at all and that the statistics are they're wildly exaggerated. No, um, I wish they were. Um, the problem that actually happens as far as the police are concerned is that it's very difficult to get the police to take the matter seriously. Um, for it to be a reported crime and to appear on their statistics, uh, the police have to issue a crime number. And they will only issue a crime number if it is like the, uh, the case we've just heard about with uh, Pippa and, uh, and Maggie, that mm. there's clear evidence that a house or a kennels has actually been broken into, um, or perhaps a, a dog has been snatched in the street by, by knife point. Most things go unrecorded, and this, is, this happens n nationwide. Um, there are a couple of really good police forces, like Kent, um, who do a tremendous job and work with dog lost over this problem. But that would, that would kind of make sense, wouldn't it? Because it, it, it could be the dog has just wandered off, and, and, and there are some people who might argue that the police have got slightly more important things to do than look for lost dogs. Um, it's, it's true, yes. I mean, there's crime of all sorts of different things. But um, as Pippa and Maggie's owner actually said, um, you know, those dogs were like her family, and for many people that is, is actually the case. Um, but it's it's a crime, and now it's becoming an organised crime, um, particularly in the area of gun dogs, and we've seen an absolute surge mm. um, in the southern counties um, since the new year. The police are beginning to take it more seriously, but it seems almost as though they're only interested if it is organised crime. You mentioned their dogs being taken at knife point. Does that happen often? Not that often, no. I, I don't think we should alarm listeners by, by suggesting that that does happen a lot but breaking into people's kennels and stealing dogs does happen quite a lot uh well uh, nick you are uh, retrieving the retrievers where can people get in touch with you if they've lost their dog right www.doglost.co.uk excellent stuff keep up the good work that's nick oakley from the charity dog lost uh, what do you think? Should the police be getting involved? Listen, I've got a little cat, and um, she, uh, I've been, she's been with me, what, I don't know, uh, 12 years. And she went missing for a while, and I was devastated. I was, I'm so attached to that cat, I'm devastated. I wouldn't think of going to the police, though. A cat cost me 40 quid, dogs can cost a few hundred quid. I can, I can see the, the, the monetary value, but should we really be bothering the police with lost dogs? Is that really the best use of their time? 08459 455 555. I'll tell you the answer. No, of course it's not. Call 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Warm weather training, or as we call it, a jolly.
Coming up in the next 30 minutes, find out what's being done to address problems with a legal drug called CAT, popular with the Somali community in Milton Keynes. And what lies did you used to tell your children? I told my little boy yesterday, we went to the hospital, not for him, for the other one. He was very upset he didn't get to speak to a doctor. So I approached a receptionist and said, oh, hello doctor, would you be able to examine my little boy? And the receptionist was a genius. Oscar-winning performance. She got straight into it, and she said, what's the problem? He said, oh, my throat hurts. She had a little look. She said, right, you need to drink lots of water and go to bed when your daddy tells you. Perfect. Perfect. What little lies have you told your kids? 08459 455 555. Text 81333. Start your message with 3CR. Text charged at the standard network rate. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. A recommendation will be made this afternoon by a government advisory panel on the classification of a drug which is legal in this country called CAT. The leaves are uh, chewed and you get like a bit of a buzz going, I guess, and can be bought here for as little as £3 a bunch. It's popular with Somalis and those from other nations in East Africa. Well, Milton Keynes North MP Mark Lancaster has raised this issue in the Commons. Morning, Mark. Good morning. Well, why is CAT so dangerous? Well, um, this really... This problem really has sort of um, evolved over the last few years, and um, one of the big problems we face is that uh, when you chew cat in a malfreshi or a cat house, it can take up to sort of 24 hours for the uh, effect to happen, and um, then you become sort of economically inactive for probably another 24 hours. So we have families who may lose the father of the house uh, into a malfreshi for two two days, and it's actually the families themselves who have come to me saying that we've got a problem here. Um, we don't know very much about this drug. We don't really know what it happens. So can we at least look at this? And that's why for the last three or four years now, uh, we've been campaigning just to get information and to get the ACMD, this body, um, to make some form of recommendation about whether or not we should be classifying it or not. And hopefully that will come to fruition this afternoon. It's the first time I've heard of, of drug users, the, the problem being they're economically inactive. That's an interesting, uh, interesting twist on it. What are you hoping is going to happen today then, Mark? Well, I think uh, what we should have today for the first time is um, some genuine facts about the impact that CAT has. It's not just economically inactive. No, of course. It's concerns about um, uh, the medical effects uh, of the drug on people. And because such a few number of people historically have actually used this drug, it's never even been recorded. So when you go to hospital, for example, like other drugs, um, its impact isn't, uh, isn't recognised. So we've simply been trying to shine a spotlight. So we actually get some hard facts about the impact of this drug. And I think for the first time we've managed that uh, so that um, the body today will make their announcements uh, about what they recommend the government to do uh, with the drug. But it's important to remember that this is simply a recommendation to government. Ultimately, it will be the government's decision as to whether or not it should be classified uh, in line with other drugs um, that we have in the UK. The Advisory Council on the Misuse of Drugs reported uh, in 2005 that there was no need to classify uh, CAT back then. What are you hoping will have changed? Well, I think what has changed in the last few years is the level of activity when it comes to the drug. Also, we do know a bit more about it now, uh, and concerns are raised. I mean, it's important to remember that this isn't simply... Uh, the government trying to impose its will. The calls for this drug to be classified have actually come from the, com- from the community itself. So it's very much a, a grassroots type action here. Uh, and I think that really is significant that when you get to a point 
um, when it's the community itself saying that we have got a problem, can you help us? Mm. I think that's the main thing that's changed in the last um, eight years. Is criminalising it the, 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 the best way to help these families that are, are, are at risk because of this drug? Because with, with smoking a bit of skunk or, you know, a bit of weed or some of the other drugs, the police don't really do anything anyway. You're just going to make criminals of these people. Aren't there better ways to help these families that are affected by cat? Well, there, there are a number of options, of course. I mean, if it were alcohol or tobacco, um, then we'd probably be looking at licensing it. So at least we have some control over its sale. And uh, whilst at the moment there's no control whatsoever, uh, and it has led to other problems in Milton Keynes. So I think really all I've been trying to do in the last few years is just to shine a light on the problem mm. um, so that we recognise there's a problem here uh, and that we can look at sensible ways um, of trying to deal with the problem that, um, and the cry for help from the community. So this is very much the first step. Um, so today at least we've na- managed for the first time um, to really look at the problem long and hard. Uh, and I'm looking forward to this afternoon to find mm. out exactly what the ACMD have got to say. And I think then, based on fact and hard information for the first time, the government can decide what the best course of action is to deal with this growing problem. Oh, we'll be following this. Mark, finally, is there, would there be any benefit in, in setting up like a help centre or, or a helpline or something for people that think, like there's, there's NA for drug ad- abusers and AA for, for alcoholics, is there anything in setting up a, a centre where people or families that are affected by this could go and, and, and get help? Oh, very much so. And that's something that we've also been working on in parallel. We simply haven't been just pressing uh, ACMD to come up with um, some research and findings here. We've also been looking at practical ways of helping families who are uh, involved and have got issues as a result of this drug. And that's something that's ongoing in Milton Keynes and other areas across the country. Mark Lancaster, thank you very much. We'll be following that uh, very closely. Milton Keynes North MP Mark Lancaster talking about the uh, use of the uh, drug CAT that's um, being going to be discussed later on today. On FM, AM and online, BBC Three Counties Radio. So I mentioned that I told a little lie to my boy yesterday at the hospital. He said, I've not seen a doctor. I want to see a doctor. We, we went up to a receptionist and she gallantly pretended to be a doctor. Uh, and sort of examined him, non-intrusive, don't worry, uh, and told him to drink lots of water and, and, get a, and go to bed early, which he did. We got home and he said, Daddy, I need some water. Why? The doctor said so and then can I go to bed? It was wonderful. Oh. Well, it turns out there's a big news story about this. On the BBC website, most parents lie to their children. Most parents tell lies to their children as a tactic to change their behaviour. Suggests a study of families in the US and China. The most frequent example was parents threatening to leave children alone in public unless they behaved. Yeah, I've done that. We're going to have to go without you then, I'm afraid. Well, we'll see. We're going to go in the car. We'll see you later on. Persuasion ranged from invoking the support of the tooth fairy to telling children they would go blind unless they ate particular vegetables. Another strategic example was that was beautiful piano playing. Oh, you have to do that. Listen, we all know that kids are rubbish at music and stuff. You have to say that was good. The um, the most popular, uh, the most commonly used lie was parents pretending to a child they were going to walk away and leave the child to his or her tantrum. Uh, Another lie that was common in both countries was the false promise to buy a requested toy at some indefinite time in the future. We don't do that, but we've done kind of, oh yeah, next next time we come, we can play on that slide. Well, you've been uh, getting in touch with lies that you have told. Uh, on text 81333 starting to text 3CR Helen from Harpenden I used to tell my there we go look this this ties in with what they've just said I used to tell my daughters that their recorder playing sounded so much better from the bottom of the garden well done and Alex on Facebook Facebook 
Oh, Alex, really? I've changed the clocks forward an hour to assist in a troublesome bedtime, then just put the clocks back. It worked quite effectively. And Susan says, the lie I told was that a mummy monster lives under their beds to scare off all the bad dreams and bad monsters. That's a double-edged sword, isn't it? Uh, 20 miles per hour. It's being introduced in St Albans. It's not compulsory. Though, you kind of just make the choice if you want to do it or not. Uh, David is in Hemel Hempstead. Morning, David. Morning, Ian. How are you? Yeah, I'm fine, thank you very much. What's your take on this? Well, I'm one of the older generation. I've been driving for 50 years. And uh, I can remember in um, the mid-60s, the speed limit was reduced on the motorways to 50 miles an hour. Was it? I think it was because of fuel shortage. Well, it was fuel shortage. But we all obeyed it. Well, did everybody obey it? Yeah, it was, it was really strange. Everybody went along at that speed. And if anybody was stupid enough to go past faster, they got very bad looks from everybody. Mm. Not that that would stop them, but <laughs> it was a real minority. That's such a, that's such a British thing, the dirty look. Is, <laughs> is, do you think, because, you know, I, as I say, I was, I was driving to Gloucester at the weekend, and I was doing 50, 60 miles an hour on the M4 where it was appropriate. There were people still doing 100 miles an hour. Do you think that in the mid-60s we were still... Um, a little bit more subservient and, and kind of respected the laws a bit more than we do now. I, I don't know if it was that, but certainly cars were a lot slower then, yeah. but uh, they still could do legally 70 on the motorway and there was nothing, it wasn't a law, but uh, we, we all did it. I think it was to do with, um, you might have another listener ring in and tell you, but I think it was to do with the Arab-Israeli war in the mid-60s and that sort of, our main fuel probably came in from Arab countries, but uh, I think that was the reason, but no, we pretty well all obeyed it. I can't remember anybody really breaking it seriously. You're driving through a city, David, you're driving through a city centre, right, you're in a bit of a rush, the roads are quite clear, it's 20 miles an hour, but it's not, it's up to your discretion, it's suggested 20 miles an hour. Would you stick to that or would you go closer to 30? Uh, I personally would, but you'd also find people in front of you doing 20, so I think that would slow you down as well, wouldn't it? Yeah, I think you're right. David and Emma Hempson, thank you very much for the interesting call and the history lesson. You see, you learn things on this show, not when I'm speaking, but you learn things from the intelligence of the callers. That's what we want here at BBC 3CR. But if the 20 miles per hour is suggested, I don't know if people are going to be as honest as David. If I was in a bit of a rush, and it was, it was 20, but, you know, it's up to my discretion... I probably would go faster, I think. What would you do? Would you actually stick to it? We've established that it's quite easy to drive at 20 miles per hour without staring at your, your speedometer, as, as uh, a guest earlier on the show said it would be, oh, you know, drivers can't do that. It'll be a problem. I'm still going to put it to the test later on, but we've established it's quite easy to do. Would you stick to the 20 miles per hour speed limit if it was only a suggestion? 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. Going back to this children lying, I'm reading this story on the BBC website. It, 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 some of these are fantastic. Um, your pet... Oh, this is, the, this is about if your pet dies. Your pet went to live on your uncle's farm. Well, I have more space to run around. We did that when my mum's cat died um, and my niece and nephew were quite young. Oh, yeah, he's gone to live in, he's gone to live in Devon. I don't know why Devon... Yeah, he's gone to live in Devon. Uh, a rather self-serving untruth was used for a quick getaway from a toy store. Uh, I didn't bring any money with me today. We can come back another day. I've done that one as well. Turns out I lie low to my children. Yeah, I've not got... Daddy's not got any money with him today. No, I've got no money. Yes, you have. No, I've got no money. Um, look at these. This is some great lies. Another lie told to children that they would grow taller for every bite of, bite of broccoli was seen as encouraging healthy eating habits. Emily Richmond on Twitter. What a... No, you, this can't be true. This is the lie that she tells her kid. 
I tell my seven-year-old that if she sings Christmas songs any time apart from December, an elf explodes. Oh, no, Emily. That's a horrible... Wicked mother. Can we get so- uh, social services on Twitter? We should link those two up. Uh, let's have a quick look at the front pages, shall we? The Daily Telegraph. Cameron, I'll hold an in-out vote on Europe. I always want to say in-out, shake it all about. I'm sorry. What is the okie-cokie? What, do, what, does that, what does that mean? I've been singing that for the last 39 years of my life. I have no idea what the okie-cokie is. Oh, wait, 459-455-555. Not that we're desperate or anything. David Cameron will today offer the British public the first in-out referendum on membership of the European Union in more than 40 years. The Prime Minister will warn that democratic consent for the EU is currently waffa thin and that it's time for the British people to have their say. And then there's a story down here. I heard them discussing this on Radio 4. France sends us Le Pong with its bouquet of garlic and rotten eggs. Uh, the French struck again yesterday, leaving people in the southeast of England choking after a cloud of pungent gas wafted over the channel. Households in Kent and Sussex awoke to the smell of rotten eggs, cabbage and garlic following the accidental release of Mercaptan gas from a factory in Rouen. Who knows what Mercaptan gas is? Anyone? Anyone? I know what it is. It's the smell they put into gas to make gas smell. Yes, gas doesn't smell, so they put Mercaptan in. Um, I think. I may have got that wrong. I think. Let's, let's assume I've got it right. The Independent. In, in or out. PM pledges EU exit vote by 2017. Um, wow, look at this. This is exciting. A child for the 22nd century. Uh, there's a picture of a baby. This is a cedar. She was born yesterday in Coventry and weighs six pounds, 12 ounces. Like 400,000 other girls expected to be born in the UK this year, she has a 40% chance of living to be 100. That's exciting, isn't it? Um, the Guardian. There's Beyonce miming. Ah, who cares? Who cares if she mimed? For goodness sake, it's not front-page news. Cameron to pledge in-out. Vote on EU. Let's have a look at the Daily Mail. You will get an in or out. Vote on Europe, says uh, the Daily Mail. Voters will be given the chance to leave the European Union by the end of 2017. The Times... I've never seen uh, The Express. The Express has got... It doesn't matter. The Times. Uh, oh, say, could you see Beyonce was just miming? Does it really matter? She's a pop singer. She mimes. I like Beyonce. I do like Beyonce. And I've been to see a couple of Beyonce uh, pop concerts. She wasn't miming then. And boy, oh boy... Aren't lady pop singers raunchy these days? It, 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 I, w- I don't want to sound like an old fogey, but I wouldn't take a, my daughter, I haven't got one, to a Beyonce concert, because it is... When I was a kid, to see some of the stuff uh, that you see in a Beyonce concert, you had to go and speak to my friend Wayne, who would sort you out with a video, right, that wasn't labelled, and you had to keep it at the bottom of your sports bag. The stuff in the Beyonce concert... It's soft porn. It is. Um, and the son. Mwamba baby miracle. Fabrice to be dad again a year after he died. It's not a miracle. I think we all know how he did it. Um, and EU vote by 2017, says PM. David Cameron will today pledge to give the British people a chance to quit the European Union within five years. In a premiership-defining speech... Uh, a premiership is in um, being the Prime Minister, not the football thing. He will offer an in or out referendum. 08459 555555 is the telephone number if you want to give us a call now. The broadcaster, Stuart Hall, has been charged with uh, rape and 14 counts of indecent assault of girls. 
He was arrested on Tuesday after attending a police station by appointment. Well, our reporter Simon Thompson joins us now. Simon, what more can you tell us about the charges? We know that Stuart Hall Inn is 83 years old and from Wilmslow in Cheshire. He was arrested, as you say, yesterday after attending a police station by appointment. Now, Lancashire Police issued a statement last night to confirm that Stuart Hall has been charged with one offence of rape and 14 offences of indecent assault. The rape is alleged to have been committed in 1976 against a 22-year-old woman and the indecent assaults are alleged to have taken place between 1967 and 1986 on 10 girls between the ages of 9 and 16. Lancashire Police, in their statement, confirming that following consultation with the Crown Prosecution Service, an 83-year-old man, who they name as Stuart Hall, has this evening or last night been charged with these offences. Uh, he's very famous. Oh, I grew up watching uh, Stuart Hall, TV, radio, big celebrity, isn't he? Very much so. I mean, most recently renowned, of course, for his uh, very colourful prose and uh, summaries on Radio 5 Live uh, at half-time and full-time on, on, on football games, uh, as well, of course, perhaps none more known for his work on the 1970s TV show It's a Knockout as a commentator there, which ran our screens for many years. He, he's been a familiar face, really, in, uh, and voice in British broadcasting for, for many years, nearly half a century, and he became an OBE in the 2012 New Year's Honours list for services to broadcasting and to charities. What happens next, Simon? Well, when he last appeared before Preston Magistrates Court uh, early this month, he was facing three charges of indecent assault. He pleaded not guilty to those. He's been bailed to appear before magistrates in Preston on the 7th of February uh, when these further charges will be outlined. Simon Thompson, thank you very much indeed. Call 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Mackie has tweeted me, at Ian Lee, or at BBC 3CR. And this, this is, I, I've heard of this, uh, I first heard of this a few years ago, and I couldn't believe people do it. Apparently this is quite a common lie to tell your kids. I told my boys that when the bell is ringing on the ice cream van, it's to tell everyone he's sold out of ice cream. Now, apparently that's quite a common one. It's naughty, isn't it? I do feel, and I have to tread carefully around this for legal reasons, I do feel slightly awkward being involved in the Father Christmas situation. I think the mums and dads know what I'm saying here. The mums and dads know what I'm saying. I'm hoping all the young ears are in school. I feel slightly... It's confusing, isn't it? The Father Christmas situation. And I, again, I have to tread carefully. It's, I, do you know, it's actually, genuinely, an offence to come out about the Father Christmas situation on the radio. You can, you can get fined. You can actually get fined for it. And people have lost their jobs for it. So... I'm just kind of winking and nudging all parents here. Sophie Tyler says, if my brother and I didn't like... Sophie Tyler, of course, the, uh, the travel guru, when she turns up. If my brother and I didn't like the look of food, mum would say it was a different sort of chicken nugget. <laughs> no, I mean, you eat it, eat it, would it, Sophie? It's a different sort of chicken nugget. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. We all do it. We all tell lies to our kids. Or if you haven't got kids, what li what lies did your parents tell you? What nonsense did they come up with so that you would be uh, you, you, you'd do whatever they said? You'd follow their suggestions. It makes life easier, doesn't it? Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Now we've been talking about this story. St Albans is introducing a twenty miles per hour speed limit in parts of the city centre. It's not compulsory. It's up to your discretion. Well, is that going to work? Esther's from Redbourne. Morning, Esther. Morning. Uh, now, Esther, 20 miles per hour, it's not compulsory. Is that going to work, really? No. 
Tell me why. Because taxi drivers in St. Albans think they own the city. And in the evenings or during the day, they cut people up. They do. I've had so many near misses in St. Albans with taxi drivers. They pick people up in the evenings from shopping centres yeah. and they just cut you up and they're doing 40, 50, 60 miles an hour in residential areas. Uh, just th- to make money. Yeah. Uh, 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 are you saying it's all taxi drivers or just a select few? It's all of them. Every single one? All of them. 100% of the taxi drivers in the St. Albans areas, uh, St. Albans area are, are driving at 60 miles per hour in residential... <laughs> they, they, they don't even take any notice. No. You know? I'm, I'm an ex-nurse and I drive safely. Yes. I go through St. Albans at the, at the given speed limit, 20, 30, whatever. Yes. And I've been cut up so many times. In fact, last weekend, I was coming into Mark's and a taxi driver cut me up. He, hit, he missed me by inches. Inches. And then he gave me loads of abuse. Really? Yes. Oh, dear. So, well, I'm sorry, but St. Albans is... What they're trying to do is, you know... Esther, we have uh, we are huge with the taxi driver community on uh, on the Ian Lee show. They're listening to you now, Esther. What's your message to taxi drivers in St Albans? My message to taxi drivers is: drive safely. If they want to make money, make it safely, but don't cut people up in this bad weather. And and when people are trying to get home or whatever, and cut you up going into hospitals or anything. I was taking somebody down for a blood test yeah. and somebody cut me up. When, the, you, when you were taking them for a blood test? Yes. Oh, dear. You know. They were, they, the, the driver wouldn't... going down to the, the, the city hospital. The driver wouldn't have known you were taking them for a blood test, though, would they? No, no, no. but do you want me to put a note up in my car to sell them? It might help. It might, maybe it, it might make people slow down. Uh, like they, in the back it says, Little Princess on board. You can have blood tests uh, on board. No, 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 no. no? I've got... I've got on, on the back of my car, air ambulance things, everything. But they do not pay any attention. OK, Esther, thank you very much for that indeed. Controversial and strong words from Esther from Red Bull. Sophie Tyler, look, it's a chicken nugget. Sophie Tyler, BBC, Three Counties Radio. Did that really work for you, Sophie? If Honestly, you, the, so if every was, time. If it was Brussels sprout, your mum go, oh, it's a chicken nugget, and you'd eat it. It was more anything that was... Well, I mean, obviously, I, I know what vegetables look like, but it was like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't... Something like, I don't know, like calamari or something. Okay, well, she knows what vegetables look like, but calamari, all that's tough. (laughs) (laughs) Morning, dear listener, Ian Lee. BBC Three Counties Radio. It's eight o'clock. Where's well, three minutes past eight if you're really that fussed about those kind of things? It's Wednesday, the 23rd of January. It'll be February soon. I'm 40 in June. Slow down, slow down time. I ain't in no rush to get there. You know, I've, I've mentioned this before. Regular listeners will know that for my 40th, I hate birthdays and I hate surprises and I hate fancy dress, but I want a surprise fancy dress birthday party. And I've been telling my wife about this for 18 months, right? And I mentioned it yesterday. She went, what? So the surprise party where I walk into a room and all my friends go, surprise, and we're all dressed up in a military theme. Oh, you were serious about that? Yes, I've been serious about it. I've been talking to you about 18 months. I'm very serious about it. So, oh, no, I've not really looked into Oh, for goodness. I want a live band there. You've got to book a band early. If it doesn't happen, seriously, come June the 10th, divorce papers are being served. Coming up on the show in the last hour, a 20-mile-an-hour speed limit is being introduced in parts of St Albans, but it'll be self-enforced. 
Do you think that's pointless, or will it make the road safer? This programme has discovered the shocking figure that dog napping is on the rise in the three counties. We'll be finding out why. And most parents tell their lies to, uh, tell lies to their children as a tactic to change their behaviour. I did it yesterday. I told my son he was talking to a doctor. It was just a lady sat behind a desk. She examined him and everyone was happy. Many mums and dads tell their kids that they'll leave them alone in public unless they behave. What lies have you told your kids or did, did your parents tell you? 08459... Four double five five double five. You can text eight one three double three. Start your text three CR, or you can send us an email three CR at bbc.co.uk. BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, this is where it gets complicated. Fingers crossed, this will work. If you drive around St Albans, you'll find that parts of the city centre now have twenty mile an hour restrictions in place. But it's up to you as to whether you'll drive at that limit. Residents have called for the speed limit to be lowered, especially in the conservation uh, area. The success of the project will be monitored over the next 12 months. The Green Party wants to see the scheme extended in residential areas all over the city. Our speed correspondent, Justin Dealey, is in the centre of St Albans. Justin, whereabouts are you and how's the traffic looking now? Uh, uh, oh, hang on, you're there. Sorry, Justin, you're there. Let's, yes, let's I'm here indeed. I'm on St Peter Street in Thank St Albans. You. The traffic is very, very busy. I know that you've been here quite a few times recently. The traffic in the city centre, always a nightmare from around 7 o'clock this morning. Uh, certainly a build-up. And let me just give you some of these streets as well. That These streets which have now gone into this new zone, this 20 miles per hour zone, they will be St Michael Street, Fishpool Street, Abbey Mill Lane, St Peter's and Catherine Street and Verulam Road. Uh, this project has cost £50,000. As you mentioned, it will be self-enforced. So many views coming in about this. Uh, a moment ago, I've been talking to David Ewings here in our radio car. This is what he's got to say. He says it's a complete and utter waste of money. Yes, I think that St Albans are, are good at wasting money, but they're not good at uh, helping their citizens. And they spent a million pounds on a one-way system, what uh, never worked without checking it properly and that's what St Albans is like they spend money for anywhere for the right places these zones are discretionary so they won't be enforced do you think drivers will look at those signs and just simply ignore them yes I think they will I I may say there's no policeman about you know there's hardly any policemen in St Albans and uh, not enough traffic wardens so I think it's just a complete waste of our money again so the views there of David Ewings, and I think a lot of people this morning have said to me, well, if this was on a motorway, and they said, well, we're going to bring it down from 70 to 60, but it won't be enforced, people again will be raising their eyebrows. So the views there of David, he's a local resident, mm. as I look along here at the taxi rank, it's pretty quiet for taxis this morning, In I spoke to one taxi driver, he was about the only one here, and uh, here's the views of that taxi driver. Well, Roger, you've been a taxi driver in St Albans for 15 years. What's your views on these new 20 miles per hour zones here? Well, they're not going to be, they're not going to work, are they? I mean, you can't get through St Albans town centre. It, it's slow enough as it is. You know, you, you're not, you're never going to get 20 miles anyway. So, no point in forcing them. It, the only place you'll work is in the city centre itself, nowhere else. Is it a complete waste of time and money? It definitely is. So nobody's got too much money to waste on silly things. And what about yourself? Obviously, a lot of these roads are going to make you as a taxi driver go slow if you take notice of those signs, which I'm sure you will do. So you must be worried about your business as well. Yeah, I mean, if the customer gets in the car, he's always in a rush to go and catch a train. He wouldn't want you to drive 20 miles an hour to get to the station for him. 
you know, you're going to need him to get there as quick as possible. Justin Daly speaking to a cab driver there. Thank you for that, Justin. We can talk now to Conservative Councillor Julian Daly, who is the leader of St Albans City and District uh, Council. Morning, uh, Julian. Good morning. Uh, Why has the 20-mile-an-hour limit been put in place? I think the starting point, if you look at the history, is because that's what the residents asked for. And uh, funnily enough, in a democracy, uh, notwithstanding the uh, vox pops you just had, uh, I think we should listen to what residents want. And that's all of the residents, not uh, a couple of people picked up off the street. Um, what they wanted was a recognition that the bigger area that your uh, correspondent mentioned is, is not just the St. Peter Street area at the city centre, but it's the residential area around the cathedral and down across to Blue House Hill in the countryside off to the, off to the west. Um, and what, they are, what the residents are after, I think, is uh, improved quality of life and improved safety. Um, you, in your introduction, described it as a 20-mile-an-hour lim- speed limit. It, it is a 20-mile-an-hour zone, which is what's unusual about it. Um, and uh, where that's been done across the country, there have been marked improvements in safety, and uh, traffic speed has come down. How much does it cost? It, as you said, it costs £50,000. £50, it's quite a bit of money, isn't it? Are there not more important things you could be spending it on? Well, what's more important than uh, saving people's life and uh, avoiding accidents? Well, when you put it in that dramatic way, nothing. But, I don't know, libraries and schools... Because right. is, evi- is there evidence to, to support that this will actually save people's lives? Yeah, there's plenty, there's plenty of evidence. Uh, look, at, look at the 20-mile-an-hour zones that have been put in in London or Cambridge or Hull. All the reports put out by the Royal Society for the Prevention of Accidents that's pulled all that stuff together. Um, having said that, it, it, you, you mentioned that the Green Party wants to see it uh, much more widely. This, this is a pilot scheme for, Harp- uh, for Hertfordshire to see if 20-mile-an-hour zones do result in these improvements your traffic your your taxi driver example you know yes the customers want to get to the station quickly but equally they want to get there without having an accident so um i i, I think that it's quite attractive to me the concept of having a zone that marks it out as a residential zone where people should not be speeding <laughs> earlier on we spoke to a gentleman from the alliance of british drivers and he cited uh, portsmouth where the, portsmouth where this has been put in place and he said it's that led has, to that's the 20 mile an hour limit right but he said that the, the 20 miles per hour has led to more problems uh, there is and more there accidents. Is, there, uh, I think that's not true. It, 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 he, yes, he's a, he came on and lied, did he? He's homing in on the uh, uh, serious accidents, I think. Right. So, but, he, so but, but, but there I, were more. He was saying there were, okay. He was saying there were more serious accidents because of the twenty miles per hour zone. They, they, there is. A, they have been arguing that, and, and we've ha- we've had a debate with them and don't don't, don't agree with their. Conclusion. So you're saying that's not true. Well, for two reasons. Portsmouth didn't introduce 20, 20 mile an hour zones. Which What's the difference? I don't know what the difference is between a 20 mile an hour zone and, and, and a speed limit. Well, speed limits tend to be by street. Right. So you have a mix of, of, of speeds within okay. an area. This okay. is in a whole area, which is 20 mile an hour zoned. And the 20 mile an hour zones in London and Hull and Cambridge have all seen improvements. And in, 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 in minor in and major accidents? Generally, yes. In Portsmouth. Generally. In, in Portsmouth, which wasn't exactly the same scheme there was a marked reduction in the number of accidents. And I think the, um, the argument that's been put forward by the gentleman you mentioned yeah. tends to say that because people are driving slower, they drive more carelessly and therefore have more accidents. But in fact, that's not what the evidence shows. Okay, the but so just, so just to go back... More slowly, just to go back to a point... That at, a, at a slower okay. speed, they cause less damage okay. to the people. Just to go back to a point you just made, you said that generally, where they've introduced 20 miles per hour zones, the accidents have reduced. Does that mean that in places it hasn't reduced it or it's got worse? I'm not aware of anywhere that it has got worse. Okay. But it, in some places it hasn't improved it? I think in every... 
you can pick, you can make statistics say what you want. I know. Is that's why that's, that's why I'm trying to focus in on this. That's what I that's what I think happened in Portsmouth. The, the report by the independent professional engineers said it was a marked improvement, even though that's not the same scheme that we're exactly the same sort of scheme. That we've it's self enforced, isn't it? <clears throat> Are people really going to stick to that? They don't stick to the seventy miles per hour on the motorway. I think it, well, what we, what we've done is create an area in which, as you go into it, it's marked out as 20-mile-an-hour zone. We have put in minor engineering works to help self-enforcement. So, for example, the location of the um, controlled parking zone area, the location of where the cars are parked has been moved around to make it more likely that people will drive slowly if they don't want to bash their cars. We've widened pinch points so that it's easier for pedestrians to cross from one pavement to another, which has the same effect because it, it creates that visual effect where you slow down because you don't want to hit a, a curb that's coming out towards you. Those sorts of things generally slow people down and help with self-policing because most people drive carefully. If you have the roads engineered in a way that encourages speeding, then that's what happens. Um, we try to engineer that out. But why, why is it self-enforced? Why, why, why is it self-enforced? Because that, that's, a, that's the most effective way of getting uh, cars to slow down. But, 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 but by leaving it up to the drivers to make their own decisions on the speed? Yes, do you not, do you not drive... Um, so when you have wide-open roads, yeah. do you not find yourself driving faster than when you've got narrowed inroads? No, but I'm asking... Sorry, you misunderstood the question. I'm asking why is it self-enforced? Why is it, why is it, not, why is it not the limit? Why is it not the law that it has to be 20 miles per hour? It is, it is the law. The, the self-enforced is, is, is the language when the, the, the professionals use to describe how, how it's been put together. It's been put together in a way that is likely to work without needing the police to come down to, to okay. encourage people to... And you trust, you trust drivers to do that? Well, that's what, that's what we... Yes, I do trust drivers. That's what the experience suggests. Have we you will, ever we driven... Will test it. We will test it. OK, you trust the drivers. You've never driven on the motorway, then, because I, I've never seen... I've seen so few people stick to the speed limit. We're talking about 20 miles, 20 mile an hour. I know, exactly. Yeah. So people aren't going to... If people are, are used to driving at 30, they're not going to slow down to 20 just because, you know, it's kind of suggested. Are they? I, well, I think, I think they will. We have changed... There are two, two areas in, in, the, in, the, in this residential area where traffic has tended to drive... Um, uh, well above 20 and those are the areas where we've put in the engineering features okay. to encourage them not to we'll speak to you in 12 months council if that's okay i think it's uh, listen i'm all for, for reducing the speeds uh, in residential areas i totally agree with it i'm not sure if, if, if self-enforcing it is the way forward but we'll, we'll speak to you in a year and see how it's gone on it's a 12-month monitoring isn't it it'll be at least that i think you need we need to we need to allow at least 12 months because it takes time for people to get yeah. used to the changes uh, Julian, thank you very much indeed, Conservative Councillor Julian Daly. Well, what would you, if it was self-enforced, would you slow down to 20 miles per hour? I genuinely think that, that 20 miles per hour in residential is, is fast enough. Tot- I totally agree with it, but I've been on the motorway and no one, hardly anybody, drives at 70 miles per hour. Everyone does 75, 77, 90, 100. They, they, they do. So going down to 20 miles per hour... Is it going to work? I like the way that they've changed the road structures and the layout. That, that might have an effect. This, this, this has to stop, David. What's this? We have to stop meeting like this. Yeah, I topped up the poison yesterday. Jonathan Werner-Smith is off, off again. He's got a very no difficult time. No idea in. what's wrong with him. Though. He's going to put, put that bottle with the skull and crossbones in your That's pocket. That's the one. It's nice to see you. We wish Jonathan the best, of course. Yes. Lies for you tell your kids. Do you want one? Yeah, go on. If you don't wash your hair. My kids, whenever they're hair washed, hate it. Absolutely hate oh, it. But they, my, my boys hate it as well. Oh, they hate it. Don't like the water in the eyes. So if you don't wash your hair, it'll fall out like <gasps> daddy's. Oh, 
Oh, when they're probably genetic. Which is true. You've got, have you got girls or boys? Uh, boy and a girl. Okay, so the, mm. genetically, the boy's probably going to lose it anyway. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so Very naughty. Go on, what was on your show today? Um, this uh, David Cameron business today, rather clever, by empowering uh, the electorate, he's sort of empowering himself, really, isn't he? Yeah. I think. He's making a speech right now at this moment uh, in which we think he's going to promise an in-out referendum if the Conservatives win the next election. But we're asking this morning, is being part of Europe good for this country? Because we don't really know, do mm. we? Mm. We have these perceptions and ideas that it might be good or square bananas square bananas yeah and uh, 70 percent of our laws made in europe Mm. and we have no say over that whatsoever but is it good for the country or not your thoughts after nine o'clock please on this big speech this morning i'll be listening so i was talking to someone about this the other day if there was an in-out referendum I don't know enough to... I don't know how to vote. Well, we're going to have four... If it's, He's talking about 2017, so we'll have four years okay. of endless debate. By the end, we will all be... You reckon? Specialists or bored senseless. I'll read about it in the night yeah, before the vote. Exactly. David, lovely to see you. Thank you very much. On FM, AM and online, BBC Three Counties Radio. I don't know enough about Europe to vote. I, I consider myself fairly intelligent. I come across really intelligent on the radio. I know I do. But I'm fa- I wouldn't know. In or out, I don't know. You hear our square bananas coming over here, stealing our jobs. All these square bananas. I don't know. It'd be interesting to listen to David. Maybe I'll get the answer um, by, <laughs> by later on today. Uh, 20 miles per hour in St Albans. It's self-enforced. Ian from Luton, is it going to work? I don't think so. Go on, why? Uh, you, you made some good points. We, you know, we don't we don't obey the speed limit on the motorway, for argument's sake. And uh, in my opinion, anyone who says they don't speed is is telling a little porky. You know, uh, if what do we do? Do we go back to when the great automobile was first invented and they had people walking in front with a red flag? Do you know what? There's, you know, there's something about that. <laughs> that would be quite. And also, the thing I don't like is these speed bumps. Don't put speed bumps in. Well, you know why you have speed bumps? Go on. It's because they've got Irish people repairing the roads. Instead of putting the tarmac mm. in the holes, they pile it on the top. Well, Ian, I'm not sure that uh, casual racism is uh, is the way forward there. But thank you very much for that. Apologies if anyone was offended. Tony's from Milton Keynes. Morning, Tony. Morning, Ian. Is it 20 miles per hour, self-enforced. Will it work? Well, let me give you a comparison. Please do. If you perhaps go back to him and ask if they made another area... Um, a voluntary no-parking area. Yeah. Put your double yellow lines down. And if you park then it's up to you whether you want to pay or not. Yeah. You know, same sort of thing, isn't it? It's not going to work. Of course it isn't. I mean, does the man drive a bicycle or a car? Well, that's the thing. I th- Listen, I would love to think that everybody in the world obeyed the laws and everybody was decent and thorough and honest. We're not. We're, we're human beings and we're sneaky and we're slimy and we cheat a little bit. And no, you, you see so few people. I'll be driving on the M1 after this, driving to London, OK? I will see so few people going 70 miles an hour or less. There won't be, there'll be hardly anybody doing it. Well, I'll tell you what, in, in where I live, I won't tell you exactly where I live, but they've now put two um, disabled parking bays as actual enforcement bays now, before right. they were voluntary. Yeah. They've now made them official. The council put the statutory notice up. They've now put a big clear signs right by these two parking bays. And what was parked in there yesterday? Go on. A police car. <laughs> there you go, you see. Tony, listen, thank you very much indeed. 08459 455 555. Dog napping. Apparently, I'm led to believe it's a growing problem in beds, hearts and bucks. According to the charity Dog Lost, uh, and it's not a dog version of the hit television series Lost, uh, almost 1,800 dogs disappeared across the southeast last year with 145 missing, presumed stolen. 
so far this year. Really? Uh, Ryan O'Meara is the publisher of Canine Magazine and former professional dog trainer. Good morning, Ryan. Morning. You've written many articles on dog napping. What do you make of these figures? It's unfortunately not too surprising. I think if criminals are nothing if not enterprising and innovative, and it's one of these crimes that has a potentially very high upside and a very low downside in, in as much as there's very, very few prosecutions for dog theft, and yet the rewards for stealing someone's dog. I mean, the, the thing is here, it's not about stealing pedigree show champions. That's almost pointless because it'd be like stealing a piece of art. You, you're not going to find a buyer. Mm. But if you steal somebody's dog... And then you ring that person up and you say to them, I've, I've got a dog that I bought off someone in the pub and I paid £250 for it. What would you pay to get your dog back? Um, and and it's, it's one of these horrible, I suppose, a crime of confidence uh, where people are walking off with dogs tied up outside of shops or they're stealing dogs from people's front gardens because people genuinely don't think their dog is a potential target of theft. So it is unfortunately a crime that more criminals are conning on to. Do we know that all of these figures, they are actually stolen dogs and not just dogs that have gone off for a little wander? Very often they, they, they are stolen, and in as much as dogs that have, that have gone missing, they will normally end up in the hands of the relevant local authority. Um, so even, even, to be honest, even if you find a dog and just decide to keep it, then that's dog theft. So it's one of these cases where a dog that's well identified uh, will usually, you know, somebody that finds a dog will call the dog warden or they'll take it to the local council pound, and invariably there is a way of getting that dog back to its owner. Whereas if a dog has gone missing and there has been no efforts to get it back to the owner, then that dog is usually the victim of theft. So hang on, Ryan, if I find a little doggy running around my street and it won't leave my front door and it's got no tag and I take it to the vets, it's got no chip on, and I put it in my house and maybe I phone the police and I phone the local RSPCA and they say, oh, we've heard nothing. Am I breaking the law by keeping that dog? No, you've done the right thing because you've called all the local authorities. You've you've made substantial efforts to find that dog its owner. There are people who simply don't. Oh. They, they, they find the dog and just say, oh, nice dog, keep it. And so, I mean, it is, of course, owner's responsibility to make sure their dogs are safe and secure and permanent identification, such as chipping. And then, of course, t- trying your very level best to make sure that your dog can't just go missing. It is surprising yeah. to me. Well, give us, give us some advice, Ryan, what people can do to, to, to stop the, their dogs being stolen or going missing. First thing is to view your dog as if it was a DVD player or anything else of value, in, in as much as... In, in most dog owners' lives, their dogs are one of the most precious things they've got. However, they don't necessarily treat them as such when they're out and about. And that's probably because they're not suspecting people are looking at their dog as something that, that they could potentially steal. So do that, first of all. Make sure that you are, you are aware there are some bad people out there mm. that will happily steal your dog and then sell it back to you at a very inflated price. So, so do that first thing. Don't leave dogs in cars. That's another thing that, you know, again, dogs get stolen from cars. Don't leave your dog tied up outside of shops. Don't leave your dog unattended anywhere, basically. And make sure that if you are going to leave your dog out in the garden that you can see it because this is one of the more frequent um, opportunities that, that thieves take to, to steal a dog. So just think about it. How much would you be willing to pay to get your dog back and try and avoid it going missing in the first place? Put a flipping chip in it as well, you idiot. Put exactly. a chip in it. Exactly. First thing you <laughs> should do. Are people really stealing dogs from outside, um, like, Poundland and stuff like that? Yes, oh. yeah, it happens. Yeah, well, just simply walking out. You know what dogs are like? You yep. know, they've got a waggy tail. Somebody walks up to them. They just lift it and walk off. Now, if you're a criminal, yep. 
How, how much easier is that than breaking into someone's house in the middle of the night? Beautiful. Ryan, can I, can I make a suggestion to all dog owners? Go on. Get rid of your dogs and get cats instead. Have both. I've got both. Have you? I've got both. The dogs are like family, the cats are like a lodger. <laughs> Ryan, thank you very much indeed. That's Ryan from, uh, uh Canine Magazine, 08459 555. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Oh, David Prever is going to be talking about it later on. Uh, it, Europe, and um, David Cameron will be talking about it as well at some point. He's going to be uh, offering us a referendum in or out in 2017, apparently. Pat in Houghton Regis, that's got to be good news, isn't it? Oh, great news. Yeah, I believe him. I really do. Oh. Well, what, 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 what's wrong? Well, he's speaking now, so we're going to find out in a little bit exactly what he's saying. What's, well, you sound a little bit um, weary and jaded there, Pat. What's the problem? Well, I think he's had plenty of time in this term of office to actually bring that vote forward before the next election. If he was really serious, we would have a vote before the next general election. But you've got to be a bit weary of the fact that he could get elected and all of a sudden, oh, the goalposts have changed. he's He's playing a canny game, isn't he? Because what he's hoping by saying this... The Conservatives will get a majority in the next election because everyone wants to, to have the referendum. It's, it's a clever move on his part, isn't it? Well, not really, because most of the country are wised up to all these politicians. and We don't really trust them. I mean, probably your local politician, you, you've got some good, honest ones, but as a government, you just don't trust them. Would you vote to go in or out? I would vote definitely out. Why? I don't know enough about it to know what the right answer is. Well, all you've got to do is look around you, Yes. see how your services are affected, how you have to queue up to go to places, look at your bills when they come through the doors and see how they've increased time and time again, and then look at what you've got to put in the bank, and if you do put it in the bank, you've got to be worried if someone's going to take it out the bank. And I'm talking about bankers. So, you know, I, I don't think there's any benefit in Europe at all. Are you saying that queues are down to Europe? I'm saying that all our ills, most of our ills, are down to Europe. Is most it? Of what's ha- the immigration that we get in from mm. Europe, and I'm not, I'm not knocking the people that do come into this yep. country because we all want to better ourselves, but yes. if you've got an influx of people coming in where we can't cope and we can't cope, then it is Europe that is doing it, and we need to look after the people that are already in this country and... All our laws have got to benefit the people in this country. Pat and Houghton Regis, thank you very much. There'll be more discussion about that with David Prever after nine o'clock. And we'll find out in a minute what David Cameron's been saying. And in rugby, two Saracens players are on the long list for the 2013 ERC European Rugby uh, European Player of the Year Award. Oh. I know, I was going so well. So close. The backs, Owen Farrell and Charlie Hodgson, are both included in the 15-man list following the conclusion of the pool stages of the Heineken Cup and the Amlin Challenge Cup. And that's your latest news and sports. More from me at nine. Hey, don't worry about it. You've got another one at nine o'clock. You, you, you'll, you'll get there. Must try harder. On FM, AM and online, BBC Three Counties Radio. Coming up, 20 miles per hour speed limit in St Albans itself enforced. Would you stick to it? And most parents tell lies to their kids as a tactic to change their behaviour. Many mums and dads tell their kids they'll leave them alone in public. I'm constantly doing it at home, actually, saying, well, if you, if you don't put your boots on, then uh, mummy and daddy are going to leave without you and you'll have to stay here all on your own. He's not yet realised that actually staying there all on his own would be an awesome thing. 
he still thinks he's a little bit terrifying. One day, that won't work. 08459 455 555. What lies have you told your kids just to make your life a little bit better? Not wicked lies. Well, if you have told them wicked lies, then, then do. Call up and not not that that man is your dad, and then you know that fifteen they find out that actually it's Steve over, down the road is their dad. Not stuff like that, just things that makes life a little bit more bearable. Oh eight four five nine, four double five five double five twenty miles per hour speed limit. Derek's from Royston. Morning, Derek. Good morning, dear. Uh, this twenty miles per hour, absolute terrible. Why? Go on. Well, first of all, um, the chap who. Um who were talking to you was in cuckoo land because no one who adhered to it at all. This was, uh, this was the councillor that we spoke to? Yeah, yeah. This was um, uh, Julian Daly, the Conservative councillor, leader of uh, St Albans City and District Council. Well, he hasn't got a clue about life. Go on, you're, tell him why. You're quite right. In actual fact, uh, everybody that um, you see wandering around in a car is about five to ten miles an hour over the limit of that area. Yep. There is no doubt about that. So to get enforcement um, uh, voluntary is just not on. And if you say, OK, we'll enforce it by police and uh, partnership um, camera cars, that's very, very expensive. So £50,000? It was, it was very flamboyant, Julian, when he said, well, what's more important than saving lives? I agree. Yeah, well, you know, it, it is important, saving lives, but th- will it actually work? Will it save lives? And 50 oh. grand's a lot of money to spend, isn't it? It is, but there's another way round. Go on. And that's called speed limiters. Oh, tell me more, Derek. Right. <clears throat> you can, um, we can put a, a speed limiter on your car to stop uh, or uh, derate the vehicle at any speed we wish. And it's done through SatNab. What? Yeah. So hang on. So hang on. What, so, but you're saying that the government would control the car, the, the speed of the car via Quite easy satellite navigational technology. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah, we've been doing it for some time up in uh, Leeds there on a, a mechanical side, but in actual fact, we can now change over to. Hang on um, a second. Digital What's stuff? happening in Leeds? Who is controlling the speed of cars in Leeds? There are some cars running around there belonging to the Leeds University. Yeah. And they've got speed limiters on. So, well, and that's via, their, like, their tom-toms and their Garmin's? Uh, well, they, they actually, they've done mechanical, they are. Right. Um, they've got little units on the side of the road, and yeah. as soon as they pass that unit, it shuts the car down. Oh. But we can t- change it over to, um, you know, to your sat-nav, because... If you turn your sat-nav on yeah. and you select the right part, when you go past 50 mile an hour or 70 mile an hour zone, you'll find a little note comes up. Oh, yeah. Well, that can do that job. And it would cost about £100 a car to put it on. Beautiful. Derek from Royston, thank you very much. I don't know if many people would agree with that, but thank you for that. Now, lies, kids. I was talking about this, just saying that I'd lied to my little boy yesterday. We t- took the baby to the hospital, and the eldest boy was disappointed. I wanted to see a doctor. And he didn't get to see a doctor. So I went up to the lady in reception and went, Ah, doctor! So nice to see you! And she kind of looked at me. I went, my little boy would like to have a quick examination. And fair play to this one, she was superb. Absolutely wonderful. She played the part beautifully. And she said, well, does it hurt? And he said, my throat hurts. And he was eating a cheese sandwich at the time. She went, well, that cheese sandwich will help. Let me have a look. And he opened his mouth. He went, right, what you need to do, drink lots of water and go to bed when your daddy tells you to. 
We got home, he asked for some water, and he went to bed when I told him to. It was wonderful. What lies have you told your kids? By coincidence, there's a, a story about this on the BBC uh, website. Most parents tell lies to their kids to, to keep them happy or change the way they behave. Uh, they vary from eating your crusts will make your hair go curly, to, wow, that was really good piano playing, beautiful. This is all according to a study of families in America and China. Well, BBC Three Counties reporter and our children's correspondent, Justin Dealey, has been asking parents about the lies they told their kids. Well, Pat, tell us about the lies that you told your children. I used to tell my little boy that if he was to go to bed early, he would grow a lot faster. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so two years down the line, he hadn't grown that much. Did he kind of question what you were saying? <laughs> no, I think he got wise to me in the end. <laughs> Gary, lots of people are missing they lied to their children. What was your lie? I used to tell my kids that if they ate their carrots, they'd be able to see in the dark. I still believe that now. I know. <laughs> I know. And it is dark this morning. Yeah, I know. And I could see. So maybe my parents said it to me. Now, Brian, you've been lied to, and you keep passing on this lie. What's the lie? Eating carrots. Mate, you see in the dark. You're better off to eat all your fruit and veg, really, because it does keep you healthy. So you were told that by your parents, you then told your children, and now you're telling but, your grandchildren, is yeah. that right? But, being that I deal in eggs, yeah. and that I was brought up on eggs, yeah. exactly the same thing. So what's the lie about eggs? The, the lie about eggs is... Uh, the more you eat, the more you want. Is that right? <laughs> now, madam, your boy is now 26. What was this lie? It sounds incredible. It was to do when they used to be ill, and I used to make this milk and sugar up, and I used to say to them, if you drink this, it'll make you feel better and you'll get well quicker. Yeah. Over the years, I never thought nothing coffee, and then my son, Ricky, he brought his girlfriend over one day, and he turned around and said, Mum, tell Tiffany about this medicine that you used to give me. Yeah. And I said, I couldn't think at first. And then I said, you mean the milk and sugar? <laughs> is, that, is that what it was? Yeah. I said, yeah. He said, but I believed it was medicine. He yeah. believed this lie yes. for all those years. Yeah. And when he had that conversation, did you feel a bit guilty? I did. My boy hates taking medicine. I have to remember another lie. And so uh, we don't have Coke very often, but sometimes I'll have a little Coke or a Pepsi or something like that. And it looks, it looks like a fun drink. It's brown and it's fizzy. Wow. And so my boy goes, Daddy, what are you drinking? Oh, it's Daddy's medicine. Completely loses interest straight away. Oh, it's Daddy's medicine. Loses interest and goes away. We can talk now to Ruth Reinstein, who is a child psychologist who runs an educational app called Wizzy Kids. Morning, Ruth. Good morning. There's nothing wrong with lying to your kids, is there? Not really. I, th- I think it's the not really bit. Right. So that I don't have curly hair and I did eat crisp, uh, no. carrot, but crust, isn't it? Crust, yes. yes. Um, and I think most people get wise to it. I think it's the occasional lie that you're getting wrong. Um... I remember waving, well, saying to my child, if you won't come with me, that's fine, I'm going anyway. Yeah, And yeah. she just waved. Yeah, yeah. And I had to go back and collect her, and really that was teaching her that um, she had the upper hand. Yes, there is that thing with, with, with kids that they have to realise that, that, they, that, they that there are consequences to their mm. actions. And if that consequence doesn't happen, they're like, aha, oh, I see, that's how this world works, yeah. is it? And I, I think, you know, then you also have the problems... Do you remember the book Struffelpater? No. Where this, oh, God. Struffelpater? It, it was a big, big picture book. No. In Germany about 100 years ago. Yeah, I wasn't a child in Germany 100 no, no, years no, ago, but, I mean, it, it was probably around, well, it's around now. Right. And basically, a little boy who sucked his thumb oh. was told that somebody would come and cut his thumbs off. Yes. 
And if you didn't eat your soup, you'd get thinner and thinner and die. Yeah. And so on. And I have met children who've believed that. Yes. Oh, and really? I, I think you have to be a bit careful sometimes. My, I, I'm going to say, listen, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to say a rude word, okay? Because I have to for this story <laughs> to be true. My little boy won't stop playing with his willy. Mm. Uh, and at one point, my mother said, if you don't stop playing with that, it'll fall off. And I was like, whoa, mum, no! You mm-hmm. can't, because I, I can see him 40 years' time in therapy because of what you've just said. Yep. And actually, a friend of mine suggested that, sort of, oh, if you're doing that, do you need a wee? Oh, yes, that's good. Right? Because actually they get really cheesed off yeah. being asked that again. Oh, again I'm going to try that. We kind of, yeah, we've had to tread carefully around that one. <laughs> we've we've ma- managed to stop him doing it in public, so that's yeah. a victory. Yeah. I've just, re- funny we're talking about this. I've talking about my mum. My mum is absolutely bonkers. I love her, but she's, she's bonkers. And I remember a lie that she told me when I was five years old, right? Um, uh, she told me that my middle name, I remember this so vividly. She t- I don't know why, her and my dad told me this in a caravan in Swanage, right? They said, I said, Mum, what's my middle name? She went, oh, your middle name's Gaylord. Uh-huh. Right. Uncommon. Uncommon. It isn't Gaylord. <laughs> but I remember that, so then four years later, four years later, I'm nine years old, I'm going to France with my nan on the hovercraft, and we have to fill in a form. She was, Ian, what's your middle name? I went, Gaylord. And she burst out laughing, right? <laughs> and, she, I, she, I, and she said, it's not your middle name. And I started crying and got very upset. And it's still... <laughs> and I've been going around telling all my friends, yeah, my, na- my name's Gaylord. Yeah, I'm a Gaylord, right? Yeah. Uh, that, that's, that's, that's a damaging lie to tell, isn't it? Um, I imagine your parents were laughing a lot. They were laughing that. a lot. <laughs> and, I, and then I, I, I didn't mention... I was too embarrassed to mention it to them until I was about 15. I said, Mum, why did you mm-hmm. say my middle name was Gaylord? And mm-hmm. she thought it was hilarious. Yes. That's bad. That's bad parenting, isn't it? it it's, it's not good. <laughs> you could say my mum's a bad parent. I, I, I kind of agree with you. What kind of lies are acceptable, Ruth? I think it is acceptable, the thing about eating something, because it'll make you big and strong, because eventually it will. Yep. There was, they have actually proved that eating chicken soup uh, is, does make you better than oh. something in there that's antibiotic. Um, so some lies actually turn out to be good. Sometimes you're doing things because it's helpful in the very short term. Yeah. And I can see the sense of it, but actually you're going to have to face up to it at some point. So, you know, if, if a pet has died... Mm. It's obviously nicer to tell a very upset child that they've gone to play somewhere else. But actually, at some point, that's quite a good conversation to have. At what age, is this interesting, at what age do you do the the, trying to explain death to a kid? Uh, At four and five. Really? Mm. Really? Because the important thing is, this person isn't coming back, this animal is not coming back. And they would if they could, but they can't, and we're all going to die sometime, but hopefully not for another 130 years. Yeah. Um, but then, but then, or oh, this—I could talk to you for ages about this. Mm. We've got a minute. But then, that's when they kind of realise when they see that their cats died or their nana's died. Mm. Then they realise actually, you as the parent aren't going to be around forever. Yeah, and that can be—that's hard a to really handle. Really important thing for them to know. Oh dear. That you won't do it on purpose. You won't. You would never leave if you had a choice. Yeah. At some point, it might happen. It's just part of the things you know. Like you'll grow up and pay taxes. Ruth, very ca- and, and let's tread carefully around this because there are actually rules about what you can say on the radio. Mm. <clears throat> the Father Christmas affair. Mm. Is that appropriate? I suspect it is. I love the idea of magic. Yeah. yeah. I really do. And as long as people can believe in magic, that's great. Okay. At some point, they tend to 
work things out. Okay, just, just that, Ruth, thank you for that. Just, just to clarify, I'm not Father Christmas, of course, as we know, is real. Um, there may be some debate over whether Rudolph's nose is red or not. That's that's kind of what I'm alluding to there, young people. Don't worry, Father Christmas, of course, as we know, of course he's real. Otherwise, where would your presents come from, huh? Ruth, thank you. Child psychologist runs an educational app called Wizzy Kids. We should look into that thing about when you tell kids about death and stuff. Because that's a big one. That's a big one. Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. A recommendation will be made this afternoon on the classification of a drug which is legal in this country called CAT. The leaves are chewed and you get high, and it can be bought here for as little as £3 a bunch. Of course you can get high, that's what drugs do. It's popular with Somalis and those from other nations in East Africa. Milton Keynes MP Mark Lancaster wants the drug to be outlawed. Joining us now is Dr Axel Klein, a lecturer in the Anthropology of Conflict, Criminal Justice and Policy at the University of Kent. Good morning, Axel. Good morning. You're an expert witness to the committee which is releasing the report this afternoon. What was your advice to them? Uh, to the Advisory Council on the Misuse of Drugs, yes, I, I said that there's no evidence to merit any change in the status of the drugs because it's quite a, it's quite a benign substance and you've introduced it as a drug but so is alcohol and mm. so is coffee and cat is no more harmful than, than, than alcohol. We heard um, uh, the, the MP earlier on, and I'm always aware of people slightly exagger- possibly exaggerating around drugs, or someone mentioned this earlier on, maybe, uh, that uh, th- these gentlemen go into these cat houses or catteries, uh, they chew on the drug, it has a delayed effect, and they can lose 24 or 48 hours. Is that true? I, first of all, I do like your description of a cattery. It's called a mafrish. A mafrish, I apologise. And, and these mafrishes are very much like cafes, where, where tea is served, where food is served, uh, where people go for a few hours and and then go back to to carry on with the business or, and and go back to their families. Uh, it is a, a place for social gatherings, and I think um, it, pr- it provides a very useful service. People talk about um, people getting lost there for twenty four, forty eight hours. Well, I've never heard of this. Uh, maybe it can happen. I'm I'm, I'm sure that that, uh, that, ha- that it has happened. But most people only go for a few hours, and it's a perfectly legitimate way of socialising. Have you? I'm going to ask a question. You don't need to answer it if you don't want to, Axel. I don't want to put you on the spot, but I'm just curious. Have you tried it? It's illicit substance. Why should I deny it? Of course I have, and uh, it's there to be. And it's there to be swallowed. And what describe the effect that it has on you? Well, it provides you with this sort of mild euphoria. I mean, you you be uh, you become first of all quite talkative and animated, and then you go into this sort of more uh, reflexive mode. It, um, if you chew a bundle, the effect will last for about two or three hours. And afterwards, it can, it can keep you awake, like most stimulants do, like several cups of coffee will do. So it's a matter of timing. It's not a sort of thing that should be encouraged in the evening. So, for, so it perhaps, it, it, I'm just trying to describe this in a way that perhaps some people understand. It's a slightly more sort of, sort of speedy, more amphetamine-style drug than a marijuana drug, which is kind of a d- 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 um, slows you down a bit. Well, from personal experience, I couldn't possibly comment. But, it, but it, is, it is considered a, a, a stimulant. It's stimulating, yes, like like caffeine is, uh, um, something that, that raises the, cent- uh, in- the central nervous system, stimulates the central nervous system, raises the heartbeat, um, and, and also impacts on sleep. There, there, 
And there can be, if people do use it excessively, there can be consequences. But it is, by and large, a fairly benign substance, especially in its natural form. Most natural substances are much, much less powerful than, than synthetic um, alternatives. The local MP, uh, Mark Lancaster, uh, has told us that he's heard from families that are worried that this drug is tearing their families apart. Well, the families of Somali communities are badly affected by all sorts of things, by d- deprivation, by unemployment, by low educational attainment. There, there are real problems faced by, by the Somali community. I would not attribute all of them to CAT. I think CAT can be a, a, an added problem, but it can also be an added solution. I mean, one of the interesting things is that many Somalis organize businesses around it. And this is one area where this very poor community has really seen a thriving business expansion. There are businessmen who are importing the stuff, distributing, using the capital to then reinvest in other commercial activities. And it also helps the Somali community to integrate because it is one of the few social spaces that is an alternative to the mosque. Now, many Islamists are hard campaigning against cat to have cat banned because they're regarded as un-Islamic. But I think it provides a really good secular space where, where Somali men can meet and socialize. And don't forget one more thing, mm. um, that it's mainly older Somali men who, who, who go to the Mafishas. You don't see that many young people. Um, so I think young people become much more anglicized. Um, they will follow different, different behavior patterns. But I think for older, older Somali men, it's, it's a refuge. My suggestion has always been that they should ensure that it's open to women as well. Mm. How, how does this work? Do, do you have any inkling as to what the ACMD, the uh, Advisory Council on Misuse of Drugs, will be saying? Well, I've got a very strong feeling that they will recommend for the status to remain unchanged. Right. Okay. Because there is no, there really is no, not sufficient evidence to merit uh, the, the, the control of the substance, as the World Health Organization found a few years ago. When because it's illegal in other parts of the world, isn't it, Doctor? It's what? It, it, it's illegal in other it's parts of the world. It's illegal in some countries, and if you look at the argumentation behind it, I've done this in Canada and in Scandinavia, it has little to do with medical harm. It's more, more often to do with, with the fact that it is considered a drug because the ingredients, cathinone and caffeine, were banned by the uh, World Health Organization in the 1990s. And then some countries interpreted it as, as, as a, a meriting a ban on the leaf substance itself. This started in Scandinavia. No country has banned the substance after a thorough examination of the medical harms. Interesting. We have to end it there. Dr. Axel Klein. Uh, can I say interesting, isn't it, to have an expert on the matters, uh, on drug matters, who's tried it, who's tried the thing that people are trying to get banned? I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I, I, I don't know. But it's interesting, isn't it, that he's tried it. He actually knows what the effects are. I find when, when you have discussions about drug abuse and drug problems and, and the use of drugs... There's a lot of um, uh, there are a lot of lies told about the effects of drugs, uh, and, and exaggeration. And there's a lot of fear. That fellow's tried it. He knows what he's talking about. It's interesting, isn't it? I, 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 listen, I'm not saying either way it's a good or a bad thing. I don't know, um, but it's interesting. Uh, lying to kids, which kind of li- links in, I suppose, a little bit. Uh, what lies have you told kids, Glenn? Did you used to lie to your children? I did. Yes. What did, What did you say to them? Well, uh, back in the 70s, in my youth, I came off a motorbike and I damaged my knee. Um, so when my kids were, were, were little, 
and I had this twinge in my left knee. I used to say, oh, it was a bit of shrapnel from when I was in the army. Um, and this went on for a long time, and they used to tell their friends that my dad was in the army. Good for them. And yeah. then, a little bit older, when we went to my brother-in-law's passing out parade, and we met the, you know, the big knobs. Oh, so hang on, he was actually, uh, he, your brother was actually in the army? My, no, my brother was in the, uh, he was, he was a part-time. Right. Uh, and we went to the passing out parade. Yeah. And uh, we met some of the uh, the big chiefs, and uh, yeah. my little lad said, "My dad was in the army," and they said, "Well, where are you? What rank were you?" End of story. <laughs> did you not lie? Did you not? Did you not try to go? Well, I was. Um... I didn't. I didn't know what to say because I didn't expect him to come out and say my dad was in the army. Uh, Glenn, listen, fantastic, great one. Fantastic. I had a, s- a similar thing. Well, no, it wasn't. The other week I was on a, some panel talking about Big Brother, and Paula Hamilton, who is a model, who is, um, is damaged good, shall we say, she said, lent over to me, she went, I really enjoyed it when you were in Big Brother, Ian. I've never been in Big Brother. But instead of going, oh, I've never been in it, like I've just said to you, I went, all right, yeah, thanks. She said, yeah, I stopped watching it when you got kicked out. I went, oh, yeah, yeah, nice one. How did you find it in the house, Ian? It was a challenge. <laughs> I'd never been in there. I'd never been in there. I couldn't stop. Uh, David is from Stanford Abbots. Morning, David. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. It turns out we are all wicked people, and we all... T- that last lie, saying that, he, that he'd been in the army, that's a terrible thing to tell it, your it, children. It, it's, it's terrible, especially when you get found out. I well. know, that's the thing, when you get found out. What have you said to your kids? Uh, he was, when he was very young, actually, it's quite funny. He used to go shopping, obviously, to the supermarkets, and... Um, uh, Every time he'd play up, he used to go, no, don't forget, I bought you from Tesco's. It was when, it was when all the Cadbury Cadu- Patch kids were around. I don't the dolls. Yeah, yeah, I remember them, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and uh, he'd play up, and it just went on probably until he was about four or five, and uh, I, I used to get this receipt out of the drawer. and now, look. <laughs> oh, you used to get the receipt? You'd get a receipt out of the drawer and say, this is what I... I how much did I you say... I you back. How much did you say that you paid oh, for I him? No, 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 I never put a price on him. <laughs> oh, that's something. <laughs> oh, that's something. Did, and when did, when did he find out, David? Oh, it was about... He was probably four or five, and um, oh, I had to come clean with him. I couldn't carry on any longer. Oh, you've got one of those you pull out all the time, but it was one that you just... <laughs> look... I'll take you back. <laughs> I love David. I love the fact you went as far as getting a receipt out of the drawer. Catherine Boyle, um, who's, who's still our newsreader here, I'm not sure for how much longer, has just messaged me. My granddad told me he found my gran living in the jungle and caught her in a net. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? Uh, you're, you're all very, very naughty people. Very, very naughty people. We've got a, uh, a text online here. Uh, this is from uh, Karen in Wellingarn City. When my mum was little and she was naughty, my granddad told her she would go to the bad girl's home. She carried on, so he took her on the bus to Battersea Power Station. What? When they got there, she promised she wouldn't be naughty anymore. It worked! Uh, and Emma's email. When my grandson, uh, grandson asked his dad, how can cows stand on the side of hills without falling over? His dad said they have shorter legs on one side. That was fine until the boy got home and said the class laughed when he told the teacher it in news time. Oh, dear. You see, these lies do have consequences, don't they? Oh, dear. Well, there we go. We, we managed to stagger to the end of another show and just about get away with it. Although it turns out that you're a wicked, wicked liars to your children. Shame on you. Back tomorrow, God willing, at six o'clock. Stick around. Jonathan is off poorly, but David Preve will be in doing an excellent job. See you tomorrow. Ta-ta. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Ian and team.